Claudia Polinar describes the exact moment she realizes she has been shot. I hear the, the gun go off, like the shots, um, at really close range, like really close. So I hear them. And at that moment that I hear them, uh, everything just goes black. Like I blacked out um, completely. And I've never been in a fight before. Like I've never gotten punched in the face, none of that stuff. Uh, I would imagine it feels, that's what it would feel like getting punched in the face where everything just goes black and then you snap out of it. Um, so I snap out of it. I'm able to see everything again. And I just started feeling a warm sensation like here in the my face. My face just felt warm. My arms felt warm. And I'm like, I just remember thinking like, fuck, like this shit's really happening. Like what they tell us in the academy, what we hear on the TV, uh, people that have been through this, um, this shit's really happening. Like we just got shot. Welcome to Game of Crimes. So basically your OT shift went off. I mean, there was nothing, just regular shift, right? Regular shift. Um, and then a little bit before two, I, I started heading back to back to the station to go pump gas and then to go pick up my partner. Um, now are you staying in the same car or do you have to switch out vehicles? No, same car. I was keeping the same car. Uh, it depends. Like if the, the, if the other person, usually we have assigned cars too. Um, but if it's taken, then I just, I just kept my car, the car I had, cause I had all my stuff in there and everything. So what kind of a, what kind of a vehicle, uh, what kind of vehicles did they assign to you guys at that time? What were you guys driving? Explorers. So yeah, we, we mostly have all explorers. There's probably like one or two crown Vicks that are still in there. Those, but... That's old school, baby. Crown Vicks. Yeah. That's old time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there, there, there's still a couple there um uh, that they're driving around but for the most part it's uh it's explorers now what'd you think um, did you like the explorer i did i did because i'm like the crown vig it was like i felt like i was too low and then it's like with the i i, I to drive it it was good but it's just like I didn't have that much room, like in the trunk with all of our stuff. And I mean, it was two of us. So we had all of our gear in the back. Um, and oh, then they didn't have radios. They didn't have AC or heaters. So, oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so what was your standard? So when you when you geared up for the day and you went to work, like you're loading up this Explorer and you, you said you were what? 602 Frank? 602 Frank, yes. Yeah, 602. So uh, did you have the same radio number in the morning? No, in the morning I was, uh, I don't know, six. 85 it was like 680 something it was it was a bus car so it's like it's a different number and then the area it's uh the numbers are like whatever area you work in yeah so your radio number is different from the, because you also paint uh vehicle numbers on top of your roofs right yes yeah, so it'll have it has a, the two digits for the station in the front like closer to the windshield uh so for TSB, the number is 6060, and that's on top. And then behind the lights, that's where it's like the last three. I don't know if it's like the last three or the four digits of the of the vehicle, the actual vehicle number that are on there. Okay. But yeah, so um, yeah, like I said, like I kept the same car that day and just went back to the station. Um, so and my so partner. What kind of gear is in that car when you guys are in there? What, what are you loading up? Why, why does it take an Explorer to haul you and Manny Double P around? 
So we were carrying at that time because of the protest, we had to carry all of our gear, which included our, our helmet, um, our baton. Cause on our belt, like we had, we have the expandable batons, but for the riots, we do have to, we do have to have our, our PR 24 with us. Um, and then we have our, I have a gear, my bag. So in my bag, I have my, all my forms, my report forms, um, like the gas mask, uh, extra handcuffs, uh, zip ties, um, gloves, mask. I mean, pretty much a whole bunch of stuff. Like, uh, I had that in one bag and then in a separate backpack, that's where I carried my helmet. Um, and then I had another backpack with my food in there, my snacks, uh, mm-hmm. but, um, that's always important. Yeah. Darn right. Yes, the food yeah. bag. If the vehicle's on fire, I'm saving the food bag. Everything else can be replaced. Food, I pay That's for right. that. Yeah. Yeah, they had that. And then, like, my partner, the same thing. He had, like, three, four bags that we had to put in in the in the trunk. Um, so for folks you were talking to about the PR-24, because that's the old infamous side-handled baton, right? So Yes. We used to have a joke. It's kind of like, because, you know, that, that handle's there, and then there's, like, six inches above the handle, and then, you know, like, 24 inches, you know, below the handle, because it's a side. Mm-hmm. So we say, you know, you know, why does this, why does that baton have a side handle on it? So when a suspect three times your size takes it and shoves it up your ass, it only goes up six <laughs> inches. <laughs> uh, that was the TJ hooker days. You know, you'd see the, you see the side handle baton and somebody throwing it, you know, oh, yeah. tripping this. Yeah, what bullshit. Did you ever throw yeah. a PR 24 at somebody and trip them and go up and arrest them there, Claudia? <laughs> no, I didn't. Hollywood. <laughs> That's Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, did did you guys have any long guns in the car with you or extra ammo, things like that? We had like the that? shotgun, the shotgun. So for every sh- – oh, we had the shotgun in the front, and then in the back we had the the non-lethal, the stud bag that we would carry too. So that, w- that was in the trunk. Um, but, yeah, it's like usually just the, 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 the shotgun in the front. So no carbine, no two twenty three, anything like that? No, no. And then for the for the rifle, I mean, we had to be trained. We had to go to training for that. So if oh, you're not certified – I'm signing, More training. Up. I'm signing up for that. More training. Yeah. <laughs> I still have to take that one. So it'll be a couple, a couple more, maybe another week in there to yeah, add to so my training. Talk about that non-lethal one. Cause that was kind of fun. When I was uh, back in 2012, I was the senior law enforcement advisor for the Republican national convention. We're down in Tampa, St. Pete, and they were deploying some of the first non-lethal. You saw the guys there that actually had like the, uh, the, the shotguns were orange. So you could tell that they were the non-lethal, but T- tell us, tell some folks about the, those non-lethal and some of those beanbag things about, you know, what they do and what, you know, what they're like. Oh, so ours, they're yellow. So they're yellow. They look just like the shotgun, but they're yellow. Um, and I mean, like, well, when we go to training, when we go to, uh, the academy and stuff like, well, no, it's actually in patrol school where we get to shoot those, the non-lethal ones. But yeah, I mean, like, it's pretty fun. Like what it does. Did you have to I'm get, like, did you get hit with one? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> Did you get to shoot anybody with one? No, I, I didn't. But uh, when I was at Sandimas, actually, we did have, I didn't get to shoot it. I got there after the fact, but they had this guy that just went crazy on the neighborhood and he was, he cut himself up. Um, so this guy was like charging at the deputies and they actually like shot him with the beanbag and it didn't do anything. I think he got, they, they hit him like two, twice or three times and it didn't do anything to this guy. Like it didn't knock him like nothing. So he was still going after the deputy and they had to take him down. But it just like, I mean, it's Did this you have stuff. A taser? And, 
I didn't. I had a taser. I carried a taser too. Yeah. Yeah. We we uh we both got assigned tasers. Um. Did you did you have to get tased to get carry the taser? No, uh, that was voluntary. I didn't volunteer for that. I'm <laughs> like, no, I'm good. <laughs> but you had to get sprayed with the oleo resin capsicum. Yes. The and for yes. the folks that are out there, why is that such a fun one? Because the old CS gas, they used to call it the tear gas, that, that become as an irritant. OC spray is made with cayenne pepper. You talk about taking a cayenne pepper, grinding it up, and shoving it into your eyeballs. That's what it felt like, right? Claudia, are you with me? Yes, pretty much, yeah. I mean, I, the only thing that we did was the OC spray and then the, the gas. We went into the gas, uh, a gas house, and I didn't like the gas. I prefer getting sprayed again than going into the gas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've gotten sprayed three times already in the three academies I you went through. So, for that? <laughs> no, that that's mandatory. That's, that's mandatory. Okay. So, yeah, Can like I said, like look, I've, look, I'm Claudia Polina. I've been through this academy three times. I only got to get sprayed once, folks. No. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the first time I'm like, okay, like I'm like it was bad. The second time I'm like, okay, like it's not too bad. The third time I was like, ah, piece of cake. I just wiped my wiped it off and I went into like the the bag that we had to punch. And yeah, I mean, like I, I, like I said, like I prefer, I would get sprayed again than going into the gas. So when you go in the gas house, what'd you have to do? That, so we have our mask on, we go into the gas house, we have to take off our mask, say our name and employee number, and then we have to put it back on. And then we have to like put, put our head, clear it. So yeah, like, I mean, my boogers were falling out. Like I felt like I couldn't breathe. So so it was, it was just bad. Like I I didn't like the way it felt. Let me tell you where they learned that from. This is what happened. Fort Leonard Missouri. I'm going to date myself. July, 1979. I'm going through the gas house at Fort Leonard Missouri, army base. And that's what they do. They bring it. And you know what is outside of every freaking gas house on every military installation? Because they tell you, do not run. They, we had to take our mask off, but we had to say our name, you know, rank, you know, uh, service number, stuff like that. And then they say, do not run. Walk outside. We didn't put our mask back on. We just had to get exposed. There is a fucking tree outside of everyone. And when you come running out and they tell you not to run, what do you run into? You <laughs> run into the tree. <laughs> Did you learn anything after the first uh, time? I only did it once, pal. And I, my dad was a career military, World War II and Vietnam. That one of the things I learned is whatever they tell you to do in basic, do it to the letter because they're looking for people who want to freelance. So, you know, yeah. if they tell you, do this. And number two, the lesson I learned, never volunteer for anything. You should have learned that lesson, Claudia. Never volunteer for anything. Who wants to be a driver? And everybody goes, oh, I do. You end up driving wheelbarrows full of bricks from one location to another. So anyway, that's the regularly scheduled podcast, September 12th, a day which will live in infamy. Oh, so you're back, you get back to the station at 2 o'clock. Uh, not much going on. You and uh, Manny Double P, you guys load up your Explorer. What, sh- what are your duties for that day? And what time do you actually guys actually get to your first post, you know, your first uh, duty uh, assignment? Uh, so by the time we leave briefing and everything, it's probably like we get to the first one, like around 3 p.m. Um, I don't remember which one it was. I want to say because we go by this matrix. We have a ma- they call it a matrix. And on there, it has what station you need to be at and from what times to what times. So it's like, okay, like at Delamo, we had to be there from four to from three to 4 p.m. And then the next station, we have like a sometimes like an hour break or a 30 minute break or two hours, depends. And then we have to go on to the next one. So we did our first one. Um, I guess I don't remember which one we were at. We did our, we were there for 
the time that they randomize these things? I mean, you don't want to be predictable, right? Did, Did they have the same pattern each time or did they randomize things? It's predictable. It's a set schedule for everyone. Like all the, uh, anyone that's assigned to a, to the trains, um, it's a set schedule, uh, every shift, every, during a certain time to whatever time you have to be at that train station. Yeah. Does that coincide with the time that trains are arriving or? No, not really. Um, I mean, what we did, we would walk onto the platform, uh, be there for 10, 15 minutes on the actual platform. Um, see the trains would pass by, just wave at the, at the train operator. Uh, but like I said, like, it's like they run every, uh, 20, 30 minutes, the trains or 15, 20 minutes. I'm not really sure. Um, but it's just like, just so we could be visible. They see us on the cameras, the train operators see that they see that we're there. So it's not like, Oh, the deputies are never around. So, <laughs> so that's why they, they, that's why they, they have that. You know, the old saying, where's a cop when you need one, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. We're here. We're going to cite and release them. No matter what they do, <laughs> yeah. we're citing and releasing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's all about We're being here to seen. Give you the perception of safety. Yes. You know. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so you guys go and you you knock out this first station. What do you do next? So, how much you know? So, walk us through. You, you're you, you've made your you're on duty now. You and Manny Double P. You hit that first station. What happens? So we do our first station, um, and I tell him like, hey, like we should probably get something to eat because there was a couple. Of, we didn't know if we were gonna get sent back to the riots, like because it was just like they would just tell us like last minute, like hey, like we need you guys over there now, and we had to go straight there. It's like, oh, let me go get this. I mean, like no, we don't have time for that. Um, um, so it had already happened a couple of times where we didn't get a chance to eat throughout the shift. Um, so that day is like around 4 PM. It's like, Oh, like, Hey, like we should go eat right now before it gets late. Cause it was like usually like around five, 6 PM. That's when they would start calling us to, to respond. So we went to go get something to eat. Um, just something quick, just in case, like I said, like we didn't know if they were going to call us or not. Uh, we got our food and during that time, it's like, we had to be at the Compton train station for it. That was during, during that time. So we got our food next to the train station. There's this parking lot. Um, it's like a four level, four story uh, parking lot. We park all the way at the top, um, eat up there. There's no cars, no one, no one goes up there. So it's like, uh, it's kind of a little bit more, more safety where, no one comes up here. We don't have to worry about watching our backs or anything. Uh, we eat. Um, and then it's like, all right, well, let's go down. Cause so the cameras could see that we're Let me there. just say here, Claudia too, that's, you know, for the listeners out there, whatever your occupation or career path is, do you have to worry about watching your back about somebody ambushing you or sneaking up on you or trying to hurt you while you're doing your job? You know, most people don't have to worry about it, which we think has probably got a lot to do with why they like to hear these kind of stories to see what you guys really go through. Yeah, the only time I really needed to watch my back was during promotion season. (laughs) 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 All the sergeant was coming around, put all your Kevlar on the back. Uh, Yeah, and you 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 could tell certain people had to continually brush off their knees. I wonder what that was for. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. okay let's get back to the story that's ridiculous oh, actually well last one thing too we had one guy too we said look if this guy ever stops that morning this dude's gonna break his nose and yep. when he did his nose went so far up yep. so that's the old joke what's the difference between an ass kisser and a brown noser depth perception uh, okay <laughs> <Not done. laughs> <Very much. laughs> 
right, let's get back to you, Claudia. So you, you guys, I mean, and again, it, you do the same thing, right? When cops, even when you're out on patrol, you want to park in an area where it makes it tough for you, people to sneak up on you. You guys are, it's it's a tough area. You're in a tough area. So you're up there, you're taking it. What'd you have to eat that day? You remember? Oh man, I'm like, like I think about it, I'm like, so it's, it's Tom's Jr. It's called Tom's Jr. It's like a charbroiled burger place with sandwiches, chicken sandwiches. That day I ended up getting that chicken club sandwich. Um, and with fries, my drink and everything. And I mean, I even took, I took a picture of the receipt cause, uh, at TSB, there was a couple, it was like five, five of us from the same class that were there. And that day, like we had one of our other partners that was, I don't know where he, he was in Santa Monica, I think. And he, he sends us a picture of, uh, he had Panda Express and he had like, he got like 10% off. So he was like, he was like bragging like, Oh, I got like, I got te- uh, 10% off from Panda. So we go there and it's like, they gave us 50% off. So it's wow. like, I take a picture of the receipt. I'm like, Oh, I'm like, I'm like, can you beat this? <laughs> is, well, is Tom's junior better than crap in the box? I mean, Jack in the box. Um, it's, it, yeah. I mean, it's different. It's uh, like I said, it's like a charbroiled burger. It's like more, um, there's a couple of, of restaurants like that, like, well, fast food places like that. But it's good. I mean, it's it, it's good. Um, but now it's like when I think about it, it's like damn. Like Tom's Jr. was about to be my last meal. I'm like, I should have had to have oh. steak that day. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's, it's so good to hear you laugh and joke about that. <laughs> and, and I know a lot of people. Are just, it just confirms how sick law enforcement people are. It's just how we <laughs> yeah. deal with the crap well, out there. There's been a couple of places I ate at. I thought that meal was going to be my last meal because that meal sucked. <laughs> yeah, it had, had nothing to do with getting shot, did it? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Yeah, we've all been down those. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like I said, it was like any other shift. Um, we got our food, we ate, and then I just remember telling him, like, oh, like, all right, let, like, I have to use the restroom. And there, where that, where the train uh, station's at, there's a, it's a restroom for employees, for the metro, for the bus employees, and then we have a key for it, too. So they're a little bit cleaner than using a public restroom. Um, so it's like, all right, we go down, we park our car where, where it was. Um, I get off, use the restroom, throw away the trash that we had. And no, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. You don't get to go through that that fast. Cause this is the fun. <laughs> this is what I was waiting for. Okay. Oh geez. Here we go. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's talk about how you're dressed that day. So talk about your, your uniform, what you wear on a regular basis. So on a regular basis, I was still wearing the same. I mean, we have we have a couple of different uniforms that we could wear, uh, but I was still wearing my class A uniform with my with my metal badge, um, my my dinners, my complete like graduation, kind of what you wear for graduation. That's a class A uniform. Um except without the tie and the gloves and stuff. But that's what I would wear because I'm like, okay, I just got out training. Like, I'm still a boot. Like, I'm not going to be out there. I mean, like, the way at least I saw it, it's like I'm not going to be out there wearing these, the comfortable pants and the the shirt that gives you more, like, cooling and stuff. So I'm like, I didn't I didn't wear that. Just, you also had Kevlar too, right? Yes. I had my I had my vest on. Um, so, I mean, like, yeah, it's I, I still wear. You've got your vest. You've got your uniform. You've got your gun belt. How, how heavy did you ever did you ever weigh yourself with and without it on to see how much weight you were actually carrying around? I didn't. Um, I think what I did weigh was a belt itself. And that was like 20 pounds, I think, like what I carry on the belt. Um, I mean, obviously, with the vest, it's a lot more the boots and everything. Um, but yeah, it's, I want to say maybe it's like, I don't know, like 30 pounds that it, I would carry around 30 pounds. Um, and see, 
and Murph, like you were saying, a lot of people, you know, they don't have to worry about getting ambushed. A lot of people don't have to worry about wearing 30 pounds of gear a day. Yes. Well, you know, and, and to go to the bathroom, you've got to take some of that stuff off. Oh, yeah. See, that's yes. what I was getting to. Okay. <laughs> I know you're a pervert. Guys, <laughs> I know. See, and with guys, it is so much easier yeah. to yeah. go to the bathroom when you're in uniform. But when you're a woman, it is, it I mean, sucks. it's a Charlie Foxtrot is what we say. It, it sucks. And I mean, just the belt, getting your belt keepers off and on, and that's what holds your gun belt to your yes. pants. Yeah, it's that's a pain to ask. Well, you know what? Actually, like the only thing that um, I ended up getting uh, once I got once I got to TSB, so that the 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 nylon belt that you have, like, so that's the only thing that I ended. But I still had the keepers and everything. But um, but yeah, like I mean, I drink a lot of water, but when I had to go to work, I'm like, I don't want to drink water because I didn't want to be dealing with going to the restroom all the time, and. I mean, like, I would try to hold it as much as I could, like, not to the point where it's like, okay, like, I'm going to pee on my pants, but it's just <laughs> to avoid going to the restroom and taking off all my gear, and then it's it, it was just, like, it was bad. But, I mean, I got pretty fast during the academy, especially with my two academies, putting it on. So <laughs> I, Okay, stopwatch, ready, yeah. set, go. She set the standard. You know, yeah, I, I would change, like, I was, like, super quick at changing like when we would have to go in and change like all the other girls they would just look at me and say how do you do it i'm like i don't know i'm like it's you just i just did go to the academy for a year and a half you'll learn <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pretty much and it's like yeah but it, it sucks like i hated going to the bathroom if i didn't need to like i would avoid it um but yeah that day it's like all right like i have to go because like i said i didn't know if we we're gonna get set to the to the pro to the riots and there i mean you're screwed like there's no bathrooms around or anything so i'm like right now we have time well not for a woman at least oh, yeah. but for a guy there's yes. a bathroom at every corner <laughs> yeah yep so yeah i mean that was pretty much it like i go to the bathroom come back inside the car and i just remember um i'm like okay like we have like during that time, it was a little bit before seven. Um, I'm like, all right, we have like 30 minutes left for us to be here in this area. And then we go on to the next one. But you guys had finished yes. eating, right? Everything done yes. and over with, dinner's mm -hmm. over yeah. with. So what do you do when you have that kind of time? What kind of things do you do as you're killing a little bit of time, you know, waiting to go to the next area? Just talking. I mean, we would just talk the entire like just remember like i said like we would remember things in the academy like hey remember when when so-and-so did this remember when the di's did this and like we just like have a blast like we we're laughing all the time um just talking shit uh seeing like that day i'm like oh we're planning what we were gonna eat for because the next day on sunday we were supposed to work our double shift so that's when uh that's when we had our 16 hours and it's like we were talking about what we were going to eat the next day. It's like, oh, there's this uh, really good meat market around and they sell chicharrones. So I'm like, we'll bring some tortillas, we'll bring some salsa and we'll eat tacos the next day. So that's what we were planning for, like that, that what we were going to eat the next day. So, I mean, it's just pretty much talking the entire time. And that's how we stayed busy. Um, the day went by quicker and yeah. So tell us now. Let's set the stage now because now we're getting to, now we're getting towards the shooting. Um, tell us where you're parked and how you're parked. You know, and what's around you. 
um, you know, after seven o'clock. So now we're talking around seven o'clock. Yes. Right? And, and just to interrupt you for a second, just before that, maybe before you guys ate, didn't you do a traffic stop? No, the, the, no, the traffic stop, it was like a week prior, but I wasn't with my partner. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was, it wasn't that same day. Um, it was a week prior. It was in that same area where that's where we were parked. And that's when we see a car, but I was working with another, another deputy that day and we see a car speed by, um, and we just pull him over and like, Hey, what's the hurry? Like, why are you in a hurry? Blah, blah. Um, long story short, I mean, we pull them over during, and there was during the time of the riots, a lot of people came out cause it was like a, it was a little shopping center and they started recording us. And it's like, I mean, there it's like, you have people all around. So it's like, it's kind of like officer safety wise, like it's, yeah, it's, it was pretty bad cause there was a whole bunch of people, um, Long story short. Were they saying very law enforcement supportive oh, comments towards oh, you guys? Yes, yes. They're like, <laughs> like they're <laughs> like fuck the police. Like, oh, you guys like, oh, you guys are racist and this and that. Um, so I mean, he didn't have like he didn't have anything. Uh he was good to go. And it's like, all right, like, you know what? Like it's gonna be a side out. I mean, just get rid of them so people like just get away from there. Cause all, like I said, it was like a whole bunch of people coming out and just recording us. Um, he ended up taking off or whatever. And that was that. And I mean, but that was like a week prior, nothing, nothing to do with this day, with this day. Well, actually in a sense it does, because we're talking about people hanging around the things they say, the recordings they do, the kind of the general atmosphere at the platform that you're going to encounter. Safe to say that the police aren't real popular in that area of town, right? Oh, no, no, no. They see us, and instead of waving with, with five fingers, they only wave with one. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, Murph did that to me earlier. Are you anti-police, Murph? <laughs> I'm anti-troopers, uh, anti-Morgan, anti-Kansas. Yeah, you got so many speeding tickets. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Back to you now. Back to the service part now. But it's seven o'clock. So walk us through from like seven o'clock on. What's going on? What happens? How are you guys parked, and where are you at? So we're parked um, adjacent to that building where the restrooms are at. We're facing southbound onto the street uh, where the trains, uh, the buses park. We see the we could see the the train station from where we're at. Um, there's a little bit more cover there because of the building. Um, but other than that, like anywhere else on the street, there really isn't any cover. Like, like thinking about uh, officer safety where it's like, okay, where is a good place for us to get more cover in case of, in case anything happens, like where we'll be a little bit more safe. So that's why I would park there. Um, and like, from what I heard, other deputies that work that car, they, they also park there when they're there. Uh, so just north of us, like behind us, there is a street that it's like a dead end to where, where we were at. Um, it's a dead end street. It goes back around, but it's like a little, there's small streets. So there's apartments all around. There's houses, um, a lot of traffic coming from like foot traffic, people walking southbound, um, towards the train station. That's usually the route that they take to get to the train station and then just, West of us, that's where the train tracks are at. So, uh, like I said, that's where we would park. Um, I mean, for the most part, every time that we were there, people walking by to get to the train station. We had a, a couple of people come up to us, like, prior to, to this day. Like, hey, like, how's it going? Or just questions, like, random questions or just, like, to talk. And that was pretty much it. Um, but for the most part, everyone just walking to get to to the train station or to the main street that was just south of us. So we're there parked. Um, I'm in the driver's seat. My partner's in the passenger seat. And 
like I just remember that day. It's like it was busy, busy day. Cars driving by, buses parked. Um, I remember there was like, what's the weather like? What's tell us too? What's the weather like? What what's time of you know with that time of night? Is it still light out? Is it getting dusk? You know, what's the, it the like? light's still out. It was uh, well, it was September, so I mean, it was it was still hot. It was pretty. It was pretty hot those days. It was it was hot. Um, I mean. The sun's out, everything just a regular, like any other day. I mean, nothing much of it. Um, like I said, like there was like a, I remember like a taxi parked in front where we were just south where we were at, like on the street, on the curb. Um, and yeah, I mean, like just keeping an eye on everyone walking by. And then, I mean, like that day, I just remember looking at that matrix paper that we had, the sheet. And then I just remember telling like, oh, we have like 30 minutes left before we take on to the, to our next station. So I'm like, once it gets closer, we'll, we'll take off from here. Um, and when, whenever we were there, I would, I would just jump the curb onto the street and then just go south from there. Instead of me going around through the little streets, going through, passing through apartments and where it's really crowded. There's no, it's very narrow. Only a car fits at a time. So it's like, uh, like officer safety wise, I'm like, I thought it was just safer to just jump the curb and go straight from there. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'll wait for the taxi to move too. like, wait for the taxi to move and then we'll, we'll leave. So yeah, I mean, a little bit before seven, like we never made it to our next train station. Um, and then that's just where everything started. The whole incident, uh, well, let's let's walk through that because how how close were you to putting your uh, explore into drive and leaving? Did, did, you know, so were you guys in the car, seat belts on, ready to go? What was your state at that point? Your no, the car was still parked. Um, the car was on. Uh, our seat belts were off. Um, I wouldn't put on my seatbelt until we got to a major street. Even driving through the 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 smaller streets, I would never wear it. Um, I, I never put it on. Uh, why is that? It's just like, if we need to, if something happens, if shit hits a fan, it's like, get out quick. So it's like, I don't want to be struggling with the seatbelt. Uh, so did they teach you that in the Academy or did your FTO teach you that? Or FTO. is that just something you picked no, up? No, that's yeah, yeah in okay. patrol training. Um, I mean, every time that we would like, when I was in patrol training, like major streets, put it on when we started driving slower through the residential streets, take it off. Um, and it's just cause of that, like officer safety, it's like, if we need, if we need a bailout, like we'll do it right away. And we don't have to be struggling with the seatbelt. You have said officer safety quite a few times. I mean, and we know we always talk about officer safety, but it seems in this area, this was a huge concern for yes. you guys, right? Was your, was your safety? It's not like, it's not like something you do every day. It's like, no, we're concerned because of, I mean, assaults because of, you know, you, you might be targeted, you know, and especially with, again, we spent a lot of time talking about the current environment because there was a lot of animosity towards law enforcement at that point. So on that day, what were your ongoing concerns? Everything, everything, like, like we said, like the, the situation, how, how tense it was, especially in that area, how they didn't like us, they don't like us. Um, and it's just like, I mean, you just never know. Like you hear, like, I mean, with that, like with me, like I would hear all these stories, like officers getting ambushed, um, from like, you hear it in, on like things that happen in other, other places with other people. Uh, you hear it in, in the Academy, they show us videos of officers getting ambushed. And it's always like, it's always in the back of your head. It's like, who knows? Like, you just never know. 
you never know when it could happen if it if it will happen if it won't like you just never know and like i said especially during that time how how things were they didn't like they didn't like us. It's like, like I said, like we would drive there and people would wave at us with one finger. They would cuss us out. Um, when we're doing our patrol checks, we're like, oh, what are you guys looking at? Like, fuck the police, this and that. Like, I mean, all the stuff that they say. So that's always like in the back of my head, especially there in Compton where we were at. It was like a little bit more than in other areas where I was like, okay, we had to, we had to be alert the entire time. Like we can't be fucking like, like on other stuff, like on our phones or anything like that, we can't be doing that there because we don't want someone walking up to us. What ended up happening? Um, but it's just like, yeah, I mean, that was that was always in the back of our hands. It's like you just never know, especially there. So let's walk through that then. Um, so you set the stage. You guys are in the vehicle. Um, windows up, windows down. Windows down. Windows down. The AC on. I mean, because yeah. Of course, yeah. the AC on because it's a hot yes. day. You got body armor on, and you've just peed, so you feel yes. better at least. Right? Yeah, more relieved. So I'm like, okay, like we're good. Very important. You got that out yes. there. <laughs> <laughs> just, just putting it out there for everybody. Okay. So, okay, so let's walk up to the let's let's walk up to the shooting. What's going on uh, leading up to the shooting? What What are you and um, Manny Double P doing uh, before the shots are fired? We're just sitting in the car. Like I said, the windows were down. Just sitting in the car, like. I don't remember what we were talking about. I don't remember exactly like right when that happened. I don't remember what I was doing. And and I want to be, I want to put a placeholder here real quick for folks, because this is going to sound, this is not going to be a normal conversation we have because normally we'll ask some other questions. We're not asking other questions right now about the suspect, other than we're going to talk about the shooting because this case is still active. The suspect is still in custody um, waiting for a trial to happen. So uh, one of the parameters of the conversation here was that we not talk about the suspect. Murph and I will talk about the suspect in our intro and outro. And trust me, we will trash the suspect. But for right now, um, you'll hear us not go into detail on that because we just need to stick to the shooting and what happened. So let's, you know, I'm just letting folks know, let's stick to that, Claudia, and say, so you're sitting there What's the next thing you know of, or what's the next thing you hear, or what's the do you hear something first, or do you feel something first? So, like I said, like I don't remember. I mean, every time people would walk by, like we would always like, I mean, look out the mirrors, like on the side mirrors, the rear view mirror. But everyone just everyone was walking to the train station. I don't remember if I saw this guy or not. Like if. If I saw him, I mean, it's just like anyone else walking to the train station, the way he was walking from the video that they that's on the Internet and stuff. Just look like someone walking to the train station when all of a sudden he turns. And like I said, I don't, I don't remember any seeing any of that. Um, yeah, you say you saw the video, but but in terms of your memory, you're just sitting there in the car. And so at that point, you've got this uh, piece of shit walking up. You obviously, this is an ambush situation. You guys are ambushed. Do you hear something or do you feel something first? I hear, I hear the, the gun go off, like the shots, um, at really close range, like really close. So I hear them. And at that moment that I hear them, uh, everything just goes black. Like I blacked out, um, completely. And I've never been in a fight before. Like I've never gotten punched in the face. None of that stuff. Uh, I would imagine it feels that's what it would feel like getting punched in the face where everything just goes black and then you snap out of it. Um, so I snap out of it. I'm able to see everything again. 
And I just started feeling a warm sensation like here in the my face. My face just felt warm. My arms felt warm. And I'm like, I just remember thinking like, fuck, like this shit's really happening. Like what they tell us in the academy, what we hear on the TV, uh, people that have been through this, um, it shit's really happening. Like we just got shot. Like what the, f- like, it's just like, what the fuck? Like, like shit. Like, what do we do now? Were you sitting in the driver's seat, the passenger seat? Driver's, driver's seat. And and were your side windows rolled up or down? They were down. Completely, Completely down. Completely down. Yes. Yes. Both of you on both sides. Yes. You're facing south. You're you're up against kind of a wall there on your side, and the suspect is walking towards the vehicle, past the passenger door, to where Manny would be on uh, the shooter's right hand side as he's passing. Yes. Is that right? So so yeah. I mean, like I just remember feeling like I mean this warm sensation, like, and I just remember thinking, I'm like, this shit's really happening. Like, fuck, like. Did you feel any pain at that point? No, I didn't feel I didn't feel any pain at all throughout the whole thing. I mean, that day I didn't feel anything at all. It wasn't until the next day, but the adrenaline just kicked in as soon as I snapped out of it. Um, where I was able to see again, I just remember going for going for the e- emergency trigger that we have on our radio, and that's just in case like that button's there in case um, something happens and we're not able to put out radio traffic, so they could pinpoint like to see where we're at and get help to us in case we can't talk or whatever it is we're in a fight does it trigger does it so when you trigger it it knows the unit that it's coming from and then it knows your location i believe so yeah i think it has a it has a gps and then it knows what radio like it has a radio number that we're assigned to and then they're able to track that person down so you you had the presence of mind. Is that the first thing you remember doing after snapping out of it is hitting yes. that E-trigger? Yeah, that's the first thing I remember doing because, like I said, I didn't know what was going to happen. I'm like, okay, I've been shot. I don't know what's going to happen next. Like, But at the same time, I'm like, I'm not going to die today. Like, My son was the first thing that came to my head. I'm like, I have a six-year-old at home and who still needs me. I'm like, I'm not going to die today. I have to get home safe. And I'm like the same for my partner. Um, like I saw him as my son. I'm like, that could be my son. And I would want, if he were to be in that situation, I would want his partner or someone that's with him to do the same for him to get home safe. So I'm like, we're going to make it home. We're going to be home today. Like it's not going to, not today. Like we're not going to die today. Man, that is, uh, that is fantastic to hear you say that. that. I mean, that will to live just kicks in and and that's what it requires to survive these type of things, you know, and I hate to get sound passionate about this or get excited about it, but that's what keeps cops alive. You know, we all joke around that a bad guy can get shot in the head and survive, but a cop could get a paper cut on his little pinky and die from infection. Uh, you know, but And that's, oh my gosh, if nobody else takes anything away from this entire uh, discussion with you, Claudia, and thank you so much for doing this again. Remember that just because you got shot doesn't mean you're going to die. Holy cow. The Did- fight's just beginning at that point. I mean, it's like the, the thing is, too, is that they've, they, they've got documented cases of officers who have died from non-lethal wounds because they talked themselves into right. dying because they believed they were dying. Absolutely. And they did, you know. And the fact that on your training, the first thing you did was hit that E-trigger. So you had the presence of mind to do that. Did you know at that point you know, you had been shot. Did you know where you had been shot? No, at that point, I didn't really know where I had been shot. That's why it's like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where I got hit. Um, so immediately, immediately after hitting the E-trigger, I go for my radio. Um, and I mean, like, I just remember it's like, okay, like 
get out of the car as soon as you can because um, it's a sitting coffin. That's what they tell us. That's what we're trained. Get out of the car, look for cover. So I'm like, I know I had to get out. I had to get out quick. I had to look for cover. I had to put out radio traffic. So I'm doing all those things at the same time. And I just like, before I get out, I remember my partner telling me, he's like, Apollonar got shot in the head. So I'm like, I turn and I look at him. His face is covered in blood. I'm like, fuck, like, it's not just me. I didn't know if he had gotten hit at that point until he told me. And it's just like, fuck, like, it's not just me. It's both of us. Uh, So it's like, a whole bunch of things are just going through my head. It's like, okay, like it's not, it's not a, it's not a scenario anymore. It's not an Academy scenario where we have to, it's like, okay, like we have the time to do all this stuff. Like it's, it's goal time. Like this is real. Like we have to do what we're trained to do um, for both of us to make it out safe. So like I said, like get out of the car, put, start putting out radio traffic. Um, at that moment when I'm putting out the radio traffic, I, that's when I know I got hit in my face. I'm like, okay, my, my, my mouth. I got hit in the mouth area. Um, I wasn't able to put out the radio traffic. Uh, I'm like, okay, my tongue got hit. I'm like, it's my tongue. Um, I'm trying to stay as calmly as possible so I could get the help there. And I got really frustrated because it's like the dispatcher was like, 10-9 your traffic, 10-9, like repeat. Like, I can't understand you. So I'm like, fuck up. I'm like, how do I do it? Like, I'm trying to put out radio traffic. My partner at that time, he, w- he hadn't gotten around the car yet um, to where I was at. And it's like, fuck like how do what do I do like I, I need the help but you don't understand what I'm trying to say and like I said I kept on saying that like as calmly as I as calmly as I could to for her to understand what I'm trying to say um so that's going on and then my partner eventually he comes around and he's trying to put on the tourniquet like he's trying to put on the tourniquet I see his arm is completely covered in blood and he's not able to so at that time so Claudia, before you get into that, did you see him on the other when he got out? Because we watched, we can watch the video. We can see him kind of stumble around. He's trying to grab his weapon. Um, you know, he, his weapon falls to the ground. Do you see any of that while you're on the driver's? He's on the passenger side of the vehicle now. You're on the driver's side. Do you see any of that that's happening to him? At that um, point? I didn't see when he drops his his weapon. I see him going like there's. It's kind of like blurry at that time. It's like I see him going around the car, kind of like out there for a while, for a couple of mi- like a couple of seconds that he's out there until eventually he comes around. Because at the same time, like I'm trying to put out the radio traffic, and it's like I didn't know where this guy was. I'm like, where the hell is he? It's like, where the hell is, is he going to come back? Like what's, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, until eventually he comes around my part. That's when my partner comes around. Um, and like I said, like, that's when he's trying, he's trying to put on the tourniquet. So I'm like, fuck, like he got shot in the arm too. Cause his arm was all full of blood. Where do you guys carry your tourniquets? At? Uh, I carry it on my left side, right next to my magazine pouch. And do you know where uh, Manny was keeping his at? No, no, I, I believe I believe in the same area, um, but I'm Kinda not makes really because his right arm was pretty much disabled, wasn't yes. it? Yes, yeah, his his right arm was completely disabled. Um, he couldn't when he was trying to get out of the car, he couldn't open it with his right hand, and he didn't understand. Like he didn't know why. He's like, "Fuck! Like I don't. Why can't I open it?" So it wasn't until he reached over with his left hand, and that's when he he was able to open his uh, his door. So it's like when he when he comes around, like he drops his weapon because he's holding it with his right and he's not able to grip it. He wasn't able to grip it. And that's when he it, it falls. Um, and he continue like he comes around to where I was at. And um, eventually he ends up going back to get it. Uh, I don't remember exactly at what point, but he goes back to get he gets his gun back and it comes back to where I'm at. 
Um, and I mean, during that entire time, like I'm still trying to put out radio traffic, um, there, uh, so I put, I end up putting the, the tourniquet on him. Um, and that's well, another, let's walk through that for a second. So let's, let's give people a visual picture. So your, um, your for your, uh, sheriff's office explorer is facing southbound. The driver's side is up next to a wall area or whatever. And, and, and it's the passenger side that's exposed to the platform and the people are walking. So when, Manny comes around and you both are teaming up again. Where are you at in relation to the vehicle, the, the front, the back, the, the driver's side? Where are you guys at in relation to that vehicle? We're right next to the, uh, on the driver's side. Um, I'm by the driver's side. And that's where like, I know there was like a little bit more, like there's some columns there and that's where I'm like, okay, well, there's a little bit more cover here. Um, Cause I'm like, there's really nowhere else for us to go uh, at that point. I'm like where Manny was at, he was, there was a, it was more exposed there. There's like some planters, big planters there, but you're out in the open, like from any direction. There really, there really wasn't much cover on his side. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm watching the video here as you're talking about this and it's, uh, I can see you, you're applying the tourniquet, but you're, you're looking around also at the same time, you're looking for threats, which is phenomenal, t phenomenally tactical at this point because you're both injured. Um, at this point, were you shot in both arms also? Yes. So I wasn't, um, I was wearing a long sleeve shirt and I mean, there wasn't much blood coming from my arms. I mean, the blood that I saw was like mostly from my face, from my mouth. Um, but I realized I had gotten shot in both arms until I'm putting on the tourniquet on Manny. So when I'm trying to tighten it, like, I mean, my arms, are, I'm like, oh shit, like I have, I have two holes in each arm and in, in through the shirt. So when I'm trying to put it on, I didn't have the strength. I'm like, fuck, like, okay, I got shot in my arms too. Cause I didn't have the strength that I had before prior to the, to, to the incident. So I'm like, okay, I got hit in both arms. I'm like, I'm not bleeding profusely. So I'm like, I know I didn't, it didn't hit any major arteries. So I'm like, okay, like I don't. I don't need a, a tourniquet on myself. Like I don't need to apply one on me. Um, but with like Manny, I didn't know where he was hit. Cause like I said, like his arm is completely covered. I didn't know where he was hit. And another thing that I remember from the training, I mean, the very little training that I've had, it's like, if you don't know where you've been hit, just go up as high as you can and put it as tight as possible. Did you see other people moving around? Like I see you looking around as you're trying to put the tourniquet on him. Were there other people milling around? Were people starting to look to see where the gunshots were all about? Yes. Yeah, so where I'm looking, where I'm, I keep on looking like just South across the street, there's uh where the shopping center's at in that corner, there was like a group of like 15 to 20 people that started to gather up. And I remember them laughing, recording with their, with their phones out, recording us. Well, wait a second. You heard them laughing. Yes. Uh, it just pisses you off. The only thing that pisses me off more than this, maybe it's going to piss me off both. It was last episode, Steve, you know, and, and the two zeros who thought they were heroes and left uh, Alex exposed out there. What kind of a society have we devolved to to where you watch, regardless if it's a police officer or a citizen getting shot or assaulted, and you sit back and you laugh at it? And, I mean, I, I eventually saw the videos that some idiot posted um, where he's like, Oh, the, the, the cops just got gassed. And it's like him recording the entire, the entire incident stuff. Um, when the other units get there. But I, like I said, like, I remember those group of people and I didn't know if the shooter was in that group. I didn't know if he was going to come back or what, like, 
I had no idea. So it's like I had to keep my eyes on them to see what they were doing. And then I do remember a guy came out. Um, there was a, right next to where we were at. There's like a gate that leads to the parking structure. And he was the only person that came out. Um, when this happened and he saw us there, he's like, Hey, do you guys need any help? Like he came up with his hands up. He's like, do you guys need any help? And I wasn't able to talk, but my partner told him like, just get back, get back and call 911. Um, and that's pretty much what he did. He went back inside and, and took off. But other than him approaching us, I was the only person that approached us to see if we needed anything. Um, and besides the other people that were just South of us, just like I said, laughing, saying a whole bunch of shit. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, like, like I said, it's did that like register with you at that point that, I mean, I know you heard it, but did it register with you that people were now mocking and laughing at the fact that you and your partner have been shot multiple times? No, no. I mean, I wasn't like, I knew they were there. I was aware of them. I wasn't paying attention to what they were saying. I'm like, okay, that's my least of my worries, whatever the hell they're saying, whatever. You're more worried about where's the threat at or where's my yes, next threat at? The threat. And then for us getting to safety. So that's what I'm like, uh, that's what I was focused on. Um, but like I said, like all this, everything going on, like time slowed down, um, that tunnel vision that they say we get, like, luckily, like, I mean, I was alert the entire time. I was aware of my surroundings in case, like, we didn't know where the threat was at, if he was going to come back or not. So it's just like looking around, um, for anything. How do you manage to get the tourniquet in place then? I mean, you've got all of the stuff going on. You're trying to get out the call for help. What's the order that things happen in? Does the tourniquet get put on first, then you make the call for help? Are you able to get the call for help out? You've already hit the E-trigger, we know that. So walk us through what you remember in terms of how things happened as this was going on. From what I remember, so hitting the E-trigger, getting out of the car, start putting out traffic. Um, I keep on putting out traffic the entire time, and that's when we're going back and forth. And then at the same time, that's when Manny comes around. He's like, Apondar, can you, like, help me with the tourniquet so i start putting on the tourniquet um and at the same time i'm like okay well i can't be doing two things that like putting out radio traffic and putting on the tourniquet so when when while he's down on his knee on the video when you see that he's down on his knees that's when um i give him my radio and that's when he's able to put out clear traffic while I'm still, he's putting out the, he continues putting out radio traffic while I'm putting on the tourniquet. And then we just pretty much wait there until the other units come. And, um, I mean, it's like, are you able to get the tourniquet put on him and cinched up? Yes. From what I heard, from what they told me that, yeah, it was on, it was actually on pretty tight. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it worked. You know, too, listen to the, uh, and, and for our listeners, you can go on YouTube and watch this video. I, don't, don't, don't give any credit to the jackasses that put their own videos out there that were being jerks about this whole damn thing. But I'm looking at the one that, that you did in another interview. Um, and, and and the volume, the audio is on there as well. And seriously, I can hear you keying the mic and I can hear noise, but I cannot understand a single word you're saying. I can't imagine how frustrating that had to be for you. Cause now, you know, it's your, you're injured, but your partner is too. And man, when your partner gets hurt, you know, Morgan, you can attest this. When your partner gets hurt, that's as bad as you getting hurt. Yeah, yes. when one hurts, we all yeah. hurt. Man. Absolutely. Um, hey, let me ask you your perception. Because uh, look, we've all the dispatchers perform. I mean, just a huge. They are part of the team, man. You know, my ass was saved many times by the people who were dispatching, sending me help and stuff. Did you get a feeling though that day with dispatch? Did they understand that something bad had happened at that point, or did they think that there was just because you know radios don't always work? Did they think there was just a comms problem? Um, did you get a sense that 
did they understand it was something really bad happening or did they think it was more of a comms problem? Well, I'm not really sure. I mean, like I haven't, I haven't, um, spoken to the dispatcher from that day uh but the way they actually ended up finding out what happened so the cameras um from the video uh tsb the tsb dispatchers and mta employees have access to the cameras and the dispatcher from our station from tsb heard the radio traffic she heard 602 frank compton compton packs and she they zoomed they went onto the cameras and they saw they saw that's when they they zoom in they saw what was going on and from what i from what i've heard like they're the ones that contacted our main dispatchers our headquarters where uh the ones that were initially that i was talking to initially initially um they're the ones that contacted them and told them like hey you guys need to send units code like now like they need to uh, this is what's going on so that's how they ended up um contacting Compton station, which is the closest station, probably like a mile from where it happened. And they're the ones that responded. And it was like, actually like less than two minutes by the time they responded. And for me, it seemed like we were there for like 15 to 20 minutes, like everything, just everything slowed down. Like, but a two minute response in LA County, I mean, is, is miraculous kind of in and of itself. It is. Yes. Yes. You know, and I want to point out one thing because I'm looking at the video here, and it just I got to quit looking at this because I just can't, I can't calm down right now. Pisses you off. It does. But you talk about weapons discipline when you pick up Manny's gun from the ground. I'm looking at a video right now. You have your finger not in the trigger guard on the trigger. You have it on the side of the trigger, which we're all trained to do. You don't put your finger on the trigger till there's a threat coming at you, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And so, and I'm I know you probably don't even realize that. But that's how the, that's how important training is. I mean, you're doing that automatically because that's what you learned. Well, she got that extra week of firearms training to reinforce that. Yeah, yeah. It's just like I, like I said, it's like it just everything just kicked in, and I mean, I don't have half of the training a lot of these guys in the department and other agencies have. Like I'm brand new, and I don't know. Like maybe it was a good thing that I was brand new that I still remember everything. Like everything was so fresh coming out of the academy and patrol training. Um. So it's like everything, everything just like the way I've told people, it's like, it kind of felt like a scenario. Like I was doing a scenario where we have a checklist where it's like, oh, we have to, what we have to do in order to pass that scenario. And we have an ambush scenario in the academy and in patrol school. So it felt like that. Like, it's like, okay, I did this. I, I, I hit the emergency, the e-trigger, put out radio traffic, look for cover if we're able to shoot back, shoot back. Um, and it's just like everything, it, it felt like that. Like it felt like. Claudia, let's, let's stop there for a second. Let's talk about that. Um, when you were in the academy, like you said, they did ambush training. We don't want to tell people what the ambush training is, but they gave you ambush training with based on what you did and how you responded, how closely to your training, you know, what's the scenario that you were given and how close to your training did you respond that day when you guys got shot? Um, like I said, it's like, it, it, it Felt like it was like a kind of like very close to how our scenarios are, um, especially for that one, the ambush one. Um, obviously, like other factors come in, come in, but like based on the training that we did for that scenario, it's like everything was pretty much how we trained. Um, and like I said, like we have that checklist where we have to we have to meet certain criteria in order for uh, for us to pass that scenario, uh, where we have to do like look for cover, like 
get out of the if we're in a in a vehicle get out of the vehicle as soon as we can um look for cover uh once we have once we're behind cover where we're safe um put out your location and then if you're able to shoot back, then shoot back. Uh, but if not, then it's like these things, that's what it felt like. Uh, to me, that's what it felt like. But this time it was just in, for reals. Like it wasn't like, no, where you could, where you mess up and you could go back to fix it. Like, no. Oh yeah. There's no do-overs on yes. this one. Yes. Um, how, what was, when you got uh, Manny behind the column and you're putting on the tourniquet, like you say, from the time this happens till the time they get there, it's about two minutes. What are you doing during that time? Um, I mean, we can watch the video, but I want to, what, what do you remember during that time? You get the tourniquet on him. You've got it. We can see it on there. It's cinched up there on his right arm. You know, you're trying to cover things. What do you remember between that and between the time the first units show up on the scene? Cause at some point you probably hear a ton of sirens coming. Um, uh, from what I remember, it's just like, I mean, making sure we were both, we were both okay. Like he was fine. Um, keeping an eye on the, the people, anyone trying to approach us, uh, everything like, I mean, just aware of, of my surroundings, see who's around, who's, who's coming, who's going, um, what's going on. Uh, and like I said, I was just trying to um, like stay in the fight until we know we're going to be safe. And that's what we did. Like, I mean, just stay in the fight the entire, like those two minutes that we were there, help each other out the best that we could. And then, I mean, once we heard the siren, once we heard the sirens and saw the lights, it's like, I'm like, Oh, it's like, uh, it was like a big sign of relief. It's like, okay, like we're, we're good now. Like, uh, nothing's going to happen. Like the shooter's not going to come back. Like it's, we're, we're safe. There's no better sound in the world when you're needing help like that, is there? Yes. Yeah. It's like, I mean, yeah, I was just hearing, hearing the sound, hearing the sirens. It was like, oh, like a huge, like, I'm like, all right, we're, we're good now. Like we're good. What did you and Manny talk about? Um, uh, during that time or? Yeah, during that time. So you're getting a vector. I know you're working on the tourniquet. What kind of are you guys having any kind of a discussion, uh, or is it just more are you just saying here, do this, do this? Are you guys going back and forth about anything? No, I mean, well, I couldn't even talk, so I couldn't. It was hard for me to talk, um, but it was just like, um, like he, like once he was able to, like that, he got my radio. Uh, he started putting out the radio traffic, and it's like just we try to remain calm. It's like I remember me t like telling like like you're fine. Like you're going to be okay. Um, and I mean, just try to, stay, for him to stay calm. Um, even like once the, the, the units got there and on our way to the hospital, I still remember him to like, tell him like, do like, like holding on to him. Like we're, we're fine. Like we're going to be okay. Did they both put you both in the same ambulance? Uh, no, we didn't, uh, we didn't get transported by ambulance. It was a radio car that transported us. Oh, you did? Yes. They so just threw you at but you were both in the same car then? We, yes, we both got we both got in the same car. Um uh was uh two the two two TOs from Compton Station. Uh they're the ones that drove us to the hospital. We both get in the back seat of an explorer. Um and like I said, it's like I remember I was alert that we were both alert the entire time. Um we walked to the car, like they never carried us. We walked to the car, get in the car, and I remember the entire the ride from the hospital, from the, from that place to the hospital. I remember the exact route that we took. Um, I mean, they like, didn't take you to MLK today where you could go visit with <laughs> no, your old friends. No, no, no. They didn't take us there. <laughs> Cause there's no trauma center at MLK. No, we, yes. We've established that. Yes. No, we were transported. They took us to St. Francis. Um, that's in Linwood and that is the closest trauma center. That is a trauma center. That's good.
Yes. What was the ride like going there? What was going through your mind? I was just like, I'm like, just thinking like, damn, like we just got shot. Like still thinking like shit's like, it felt like a, like a dream, like a really bad dream. I was like, this can't believe this happening. Like, I mean, you just never think it like you never think it's going to happen to you until like it does. And like, I mean, just going there, like making sure we were both fine. Um, I mean, it was just, it, it was fast. I mean, it just seemed like we got to the hospital like so fast. It's like, oh shit, we're already here. Like we actually got to the hospital before the hospital was even ready for us. They had called it in, but the hospital wasn't ready by the time we got there. That's how fast we got there. So you're in the car. At what point did the perception of time come back to a realist, a realistic perception? Um, I think once we, like, once I was in the hospital, like once I was actually like in the bed, I'm like, oh, okay. Like I, it just kind of went back to, I'm like, okay, like we're good now. Like everything, like everything just kind of went back to, to, to how it was like the time, like regular time, regular time. Yeah. So when you guys get to the hospital and of course they take you in the emergency room and the trauma center there, um, how long was it before your first surgery took place? So I get to the hospital, um, uh, we get there where they're taking off all our, cutting our uniform, taking off our, our gear to see if we got shot anywhere else. Um, and we've already established it's a bitch to get undressed in your <laughs> uniform, isn't it? No, and I still remember, like, I'm there trying to help them out, like, taking out the buttons for my shirt, like, for my, my, my bow, like, trying to take oh, it no, out. no, no, they're cutting it. They're going to cut everything off. I know, I know. Shit. Not to I mention know. you've been shot in both arms. You've got wounds <laughs> in both arms. Holy cow. Yeah, woman, and I'm like, I'm, shot. I'm still trying to take off, like, trying to take off my, my keepers. I'm, like, here, like, try, try, trying to help them out, like, trying to take off my boots. And, like, no, I was like, stop, stop moving. So, yeah, yeah, they, they did that. And I was alert for, like, it was several hours before they actually put me to sleep. Like, they put me to sleep. Um, and after a while, like, I just remember, like, I started to wake up again. And I'm, like, opening my eyes. And I just hear, like, the nurse, like, some nurses say, like, oh, she's waking she's waking up. She's waking up. Like, go get some other, some other stuff that they gave me. Um, and so they put you in a medically induced coma in a sense. Yes. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't, cause I wasn't going to go into surgery until the next day in the morning. So they put me, they put me to sleep and then the surgery was in the morning. They did, um, what the, for the jaw, for the jaw in both of my hands, they put the bones back together and it wasn't until the next day, probably like around five, 6 PM when I woke up and that's when everything hurt. So you didn't hurt up until that point. You don't mm -hmm. remember. No pain, yeah. like nothing. Well, now, do you know what was going on with Manny during that time? Uh, I mean, we were both in the same, they had us both like in the same room. Um, I just remember like I kept on asking him like, how is he? How is he? Like, no, he's fine. He's fine. Um, but I didn't see him. Like we were, uh, they had like a, a barrier between both of us. Um, and then, yeah, after that, it wasn't until the next day when I woke up and it's like, oh, how is he? Like, no, he's, he's fine. Like. Well, they had to keep you in a medically induced coma because you would have got up out of your bed, got your ass dragged you over there and asked Manny what the hell's going on here and yeah. started taking care of it. Hey, Manny, Manny, did you bring the tacos? <laughs> what are we, we going to have for dinner today? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's so reassuring to hear you laugh. I mean, we just, we just relived the most traumatic thing that's ever happens in a police officer's life, and you survived. And <laughs> the fact that you're able to laugh about it now is just very, very reassuring. Well, it's like, I mean, the way I see it, it's like, yeah, this happened to me. Um, I mean, it could have been anyone else, uh, but it happened to us. And I mean, 
the entire time, like once it happened, I mean, I've been fine, like mentally, I've been able to sleep. Um, cause I'm like, I'm not going to let this affect me affect who I am. I'm like, I don't, I, I've never been the type of person where it's like, Oh, I just lock up, like, go to my room, lock up and just cry about things, things that happen. It's like shit happens. And it's like, you have to move on for that. And it's like, I'm not going to be there crying about it. Um, being all depressed and life moves on. And I mean, you just have to make the best of it. I mean, I was given another opportunity at life and I just, you have to be thankful for that. It's like a couple of centimeters, like a couple of inches. I mean, one, one round went in through the right cheek, right behind my teeth. I cut my tongue. It came out on the, I mean, it's kind of hard. It's hard to see. I just have like little dimples. Um, but it came out on the, on the left side It shattered. This bone was completely shattered. And up to, up until this day, it hasn't completely healed. And both of my arms got hit in the, it hit the ona bone in each arm. Um, so, I mean, like it could, I mean, especially the one in the, in the face, I mean, a couple centimeters, it could have been a different story. And the same for my partner. How many rounds were you hit with? Was it one bullet went through both arms? I don't know. I mean, it maybe it could have. It could have been one bullet that went through both arms. Um, I don't know if it was one or two different ones. And then obviously the one, the one in my face. Um, and I think, like I said, I don't really know that many details yet because of the case. Um, but I'm pretty sure like some of the rounds that went through my partner went through me yeah, too. Yeah, so you got hit at least twice, and and Manny twice. You think? No, with. No, well, one the one in the in the in the head that went in like in between his skin and his skull, um, and then he got hit in the bicep, the elbow, and his hand. So he got hit three times in the arm, and then once on the once in the head. And that was a you, it was determined that that was a forty caliber, right? From what I've heard, yes, yes. You're talking about getting shot. Forty caliber is a serious damn weapon. It's a serious damn round. And when you get it, the fact that you guys survived that, and you've got the presence of mind to do all these things. I mean, I guess at my stage of life right now, I get a little bit of a sniffle or like Steve says, I get a paper cut. I think I got to be in bed for three days, you know, and I've been, and I've been coughing so, up the lung for three weeks here. Well, you, you traitorous bastard. That's because you moved to Florida. That's God's way of telling you, you should have stayed in Loudoun County, Virginia, pal. This is for you. <laughs> Good thing with COVID, we're doing this remotely. That's right. Um, but Claudia, let's, let's talk about that. So let's, um, uh, Manny gets hit four times. You get hit at least twice. Um, but th this, the process is just beginning. So let's talk about how long are you in ICU before they move you into the next phase of recovery? So I was in ICU for six days. Um, and that was because I wasn't able to even like, I wasn't able to have any liquids. Uh, so after they stitched, they stitched my tongue back together, my tongue was really swollen, which was preventing me from, from drinking, um, drinking anything. Uh, so I couldn't move out until I was able to do, drink at least the juice on my own. And I mean, for a little bottle of juice, the ones that they give in the hospital, it would take me like five to 10 minutes to finish it. Uh, that's how slow I was able to. Let's talk about how they fed you though, in the beginning. So yeah, they, I, I had a tube, the tubes up my nose and that's how I was They're eating. They're called nasal gastro, <laughs> nas NG tubes, nasal gastral tubes. Yeah. And they go, they go through your nose, through the sinuses yeah. and down into your stomach. Yes. Yeah, so that's how that's how they were feeding me for the six days that I was there. <laughs> how do, I mean, could you could, could you at least say, hey, could you go to Tom's Junior and get me a chicken and grind it up and shove it through <laughs> these tubes? Or Ugh, that doesn't even sound good. <laughs> uh, I, 
so like after that, like like I said, I was in there for six six days, and then uh, I, I went to the regular side of the hospital for two two more days. Did um, they be- take the tubes out by then? Yes, yeah, they had to take out the tubes before I could uh, get out of the ICU. What was that like when they took them out? Oh, I was like, so I'm like, okay, like I'm getting closer. I'm like, I just felt it felt like an eternity being in there because I wasn't I wasn't able to be with my son, and my son didn't like he doesn't know about what happened. So I, I didn't FaceTime him. I couldn't do anything because I'm like, okay, I don't want him to see me with tubes up my nose, bandages all around my head, my arms. So it was just like such a relief when the tube came out and I was able to go to, to the regular side of the hospital. So I'm like, okay, like I'm getting closer to going back home. And I mean, they still wanted to keep me longer, but I'm like, no, like I, I, no, I need, no, I need to leave. Sure. No, I'm like, fuck that. I need to get out. So um, but what was it like, though? How did it feel, though, when they pulled the tubes out as well, too? That's was, like, that a fun? No, was that fun? No, that was nasty. It's like I just remember, like, <laughs> I, the feeling when they're taking it out and, like, the whatever stuff that they give you, it's, like, coming out. Uh, and even, like, days after, I still had the stuff, like, coming out of my nose. Uh, it I mean, was, it's like people think it's just a, it's like two feet of tube or whatever. It's got to go up your nose, down the your throat, you know, down your esophagus, you know, nasal. What is it? Yeah, into your stomach, right? So it's like. It's a decent length of tubing. Yeah. You're a real yeah. sadist, Morgan. Good Lord. Yeah, they're like, they're, like, they're like pulling it out. And it's like, oh. We are about the details on this podcast. We want to give people what it was I'm like. I'm pretty sure you won't hear that on any other podcast. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and only cops can sit around and joke about somebody being shot. You know, oh, well, true. Like Alex said, he said he wanted to, he, it improved his looks is what he said when they rebuilt his jaw. He said it gave him a square jaw. He looks much better now. Uh, and you know what? Kevin Stevens was the same way. Joe Pirasante, I mean, he's hilarious talking about his bodybuilding and he's blind as a bat. Uh, you gotta let. Uh, that's how you deal with this crap, right? Well, if yeah. you don't, you go crazy. Right? Yeah, exactly. You become a fifty-one fifty, and you'll end up over an MLK. <laughs> Say, hey, I remember you, Doc. Yeah, just take your pills and be good down here, Claudia. Hey, uh, Claudia, one question about your tongue. Now, did it, it did it shoot it completely in two, or was it still hanging on by something? Or it was hanging on. It was like sliced. It was still hanging on by probably not much. Steve, you talk about me asking for details. I know. Jesus. I know. I know. <laughs> It's just, you know, you got to learn from this stuff. Holy cow. Next we're going to be asking what it was like to poop in a hospital bed. <laughs> oh, well, unfortunately, I know what that's like, and it sucks too. <laughs> we all know. But at least, hey, look on the bright side, though, Claudia. At least you didn't have to take off a bunch of equipment to go pee. Yes, that's true. That's true. There, but, there was at least a little bit of an upside here, right? Oh, man. Like, even that, that was hard. I'm like, because I, I couldn't walk. Like, there was, I didn't start walking until probably like on my fourth day of being in there, where I was just in the bed, like, all day, like all day, I wouldn't get up at all. And I mean, the fir- I remember the first time that I actually got up to use a, the restroom that they had there. I was like, I felt so weak. I couldn't do it. It's like, I felt weak and then everything just started spinning. Um, but I'm like, no, I'm like, I have to, like, I have to push myself. Cause I'm like, I, I'm trying to get better, get out of here as soon as I could. And whenever I had the opportunity, when the therapist would go, like I would, I start eventually started from walking from in like the bed to sit down on the chair in the room. I started going out into the hallway um, and just started walking around there. So it's like that helped like just to, so I could see that I was doing good. And so I could get released and get out. You know, and that sounds so much too, Steve, when we were just talking with Alex, this last episode, he talked, that's what his thing was. He said, I wanted to do this so I could do this. And then I did this too, so I could do this. And everything was just little steps, little things. Set those little goals, those little milestones. Set those little goals, right? Well, didn't they, didn't they uh, equip you with a special mouth apparatus during this time for a couple months? 
Yes. So right after, <laughs> yeah, that was probably like the best part. Um, <laughs> so uh, right after the surgery, when I woke up the next day, like my mouth was already wired, completely wired shut. I couldn't, I couldn't open at all, like any anything. So which Murphs wish he could do to me sometimes, but, uh, <laughs> or you know Connie sometimes too, because boy, she gets on my ass. <laughs> I can't get away with anything around. That's my wife, Claudia, by the way. So you're you're wired for sound. You're you're now virtual, you know, radio antenna. So they wire your jaw shut. What yes. happens after? Yeah, what goes on? And my mouth is wired for for two months. I have ca- a cast in each arm for two months, also. Um, so I mean, with my mouth wired shut. Once I started able to eat, I mean, I was on a liquid diet for the two months that I had it because I couldn't eat anything but liquid. So it was like smoothies. Um, I got kind of creative. I mean, what towards like I just got tired of eating smoothies and soups like blended up soups that I had to try some tacos blended up with like bean juice. So, yeah, I tried that, and, I mean, it, it satisfied the craving. It was a little weird, but, I mean. So you're pure. Yeah, you got to love this, man. She's puree and teach her own, <laughs> right? Put a little sauce in there with it. Yes. Oh. Yeah, pr- pretty much everything in there. I'm like, okay, like, I'm not going to put water, so I put the bean juice in there. So I'm like, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't too bad. Hey, at, least you, nap- at least you're getting the taste, right? Yes, I had the taste, and, like I said, like, with other stuff, too, like, um, I mean, other, what else did I have? Like, I mean, I just got really creative with the food and I, it, it still sucked. Like it sucked. Cause like there was days where I wouldn't get full, even with eating that, like I wouldn't get full. So it's like, I'm like, man, I, like, I want to eat, like I need to eat a good meal. And it's just like not being able to just sucked. but I'm like, okay, like two months of this and hopefully like they come off and little by little, like start eating again. And I mean, it was just like a process, like getting from to how I was to like when the wires came off. How long were you in the hospital? For a total of eight days, eight days. And then where did you go after the hospital? I came back home. Oh, you okay. You were able to say, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm looking at my notes from where we did our pre-call with you and, 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 I, and it just now hit me. I forgot what I typed this in there. You said that after you guys have been shot that Manny, you gave him your radio and I was looking at the video here and you can see his microphone draped across what happened to his radio? So his, uh, there was a round that actually skipped off his vest and hit his radio. So that's why he wasn't, his radio wasn't working at all. And like, at that time, like he was saying, like, he couldn't understand why he's like, he's like, I'm trying to press, like, I'm trying to press the button and nothing. So it was, it was cause of that. But that vest, but that bullet skipped off his vest too. So that may have been something too, that Again, there's another round. I don't mm-hmm. know if that one hit you or if that's unaccounted for, but yeah. yeah. So, um, but the question comes back to you. You talked about you haven't told your son to this day about this, but how did you explain the fact that you were gone for eight days? Mommy comes home, no offense, but you look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're wired up. You look like you got, you, you look like you, you lost a big boxing match, you know, with, uh, with Mike Tyson <laughs> back when he was, was good, you know. How did you explain that? So um, what we told him, it was that, because obviously it's like, I I wasn't going to be able to hide my injuries. Like, I just, I couldn't. Not the same way you hid your injuries in the academy. (laughs) We understand that. (laughs) It's got a history going here. Yeah, this this time I I couldn't do anything about it. So, I mean, what we told him, I was was training. I was running down a hill um, during training and I tripped, I fell. I broke my jaw and I broke my arm. So, I mean, 
he was he was like okay like he's like but what happened so i'm like i'm trying to explain like yeah like i i fell like i fell while i was running but he's like are you gonna be okay i'm like yeah i'm gonna be okay um and i mean the reason we didn't tell him because it's like eventually later on when i go back to work it's like i don't want him to worry about for him to have that in the back of his mind like hey like what if my mom what if this happens again what if she doesn't come home this time so it's like he's he's too young to know yet like what happened but i mean later on once he's old enough he's able to understand more and it's like probably tell him what happened let's talk about your husband too because spouses are always important you know in a recovery and everything um so tell us about your husband um well you know how did you guys meet you know (laughs) (laughs) you know but but, uh you know what did he do because like i said you're the first one to be in law enforcement. So this is obviously new to everybody. You know, just tell us about him. Well, like I said, it's like, I mean, he knew like when we met what I wanted to do. So it's like, uh, it's not something where it's like, Oh, all of a sudden, like, Oh, I'm going to go be a cop. Like, no. Um, so he already knew. Um, and like I said, when I went through the, the security officer Academy, like he has always been there. Um, I mean, that's what made it like all the academies that I went through. It just made it a lot easier just having him being there supportive all the time. Like, I mean, he even sacrificed himself like from work that he had to get home early to, to, to help me like with our son. So, I mean, when this happened too, it's like, I mean, he did everything for me. I mean, I couldn't even go to the restroom cause like I couldn't do anything. So he did everything like for those two months where I wasn't able to, um, and it's just like having him and like my parents too. I mean, my mom was the one cooking, um, trying to see what, like what foods I could eat and everything. And I mean, it just made everything a lot easier, not as like stressful for me to be like, Oh, like, oh, I can't do this today. Like, no, it's like, and then at the same time too, I never, I like I never let myself like I never let it get to me because it's like I don't want them to see me like if I if I cry like I there's days where I would cry especially at nighttime but it's like I wouldn't let them see how I would get because it's like I don't want them to worry I don't what want them crying about just like I mean it was more the pain um the pain like I started getting muzzle spasms at night where it got really bad and I I, I don't want to go to sleep like I was afraid of going to sleep because I knew what was coming like that pain was just like, it was so bad. And it didn't start until like a month after, um, after like, that's when I started getting the muzzle spasms on the left side and it just shot up like all the way up. And like I said, it's like the pain was so bad. I think even more than getting shot, like where I just couldn't take it. And I mean, just frustrated for not being able to do things on my own. Like I would get frustrated and it was just, it was hard. Like, having like for to have someone else do that all that stuff for you that I just wasn't used to and like I said it's like I never let them I I I would never let them see me like get like that like the days where I was just like fed up with it like there was days I mean I had my days for the most part it was good but there was days where I just I didn't feel like doing shit like I'm like no like not today and like I said it's like I just wouldn't I didn't want them seeing me like that because it's like I didn't want them to have that extra worry, like worrying about me. So, so anytime there's a traumatic event, there's at some point, whether you're involved in the shooting or you're the one being shot or some critical event too, you know, it could be death of a kid, you know, whatever else the, you've got access to like the department psychologist or some mental health. Um, 
What did they engage for you and how soon after the shooting? I started seeing the, as soon as I was able to talk, it probably took me about two weeks for me to, to start talking. And I mean, I just managed to, to talk with my mouth wired. Uh, I started seeing the psychologist from the department, um, every week, like I would see her every week. Uh, she would come to my house. Um, and I mean that too, it's like just being able to talk, um, having her there, the support, um, it just made everything a lot easier. And probably like about a month after it happened, I started going to, to the academy, uh, to the academy classes, um, and talking to the recruits about it. This is one month after? About a month after, yeah. That was like in October. Holy shit. You, I mean, you, what, you couldn't wait to go back to the academy again? You, <laughs> you still got the cast on your arms and everything? Yeah, I still had the cast. Um, but I, I mean, the way I saw it, it's like it kept my mind like I was doing other things and just being home because I couldn't do anything. Like it was just so hard being home, not being able to do anything. And that is such a tough thing. You're sitting there and you go because it's like there's only so much stuff you can do, at least if you feel like you can get out and do something. Mm-hmm. It's like I've got a purpose for this right now. I can do this. The, the and Yeah. The other thing, too, is when you sit around, you start thinking a lot more and start dwelling on stuff. Maybe you shouldn't. Yes. And that's the thing. I mean, you'd only been on the job a couple of years, right? You've been on the mm-hmm. street. For not even a year that I've been out on the street. And I'll, I'll bet, I'll bet, I'll bet you could hear a pin drop in that classroom when you're talking to the recruits. <laughs> and I'll bet you there's some mouse hanging open and some wide-eyed gazes. Did they have a lot of questions for you? Um, for recruits, not really, because I would tell them. Oh, that was me accidentally hitting something. Oh. Let me, I'll edit that out. Don't worry. I meant to hit mute and I hit raise my hand instead. That's the first time I've, oh, my guess. First time I've seen it, too. We'll leave it in. What fun. Yeah. Oh, hold on. Morgan's got a question. That's the politest yeah, he's ever been. It's kind of like that when I go to talk to in the academy classes. But no, I mean, for recruits, they don't really have that many questions. And I would tell them, like, I was in your seat not even a year ago, like, when this happened. Like, it's something that you have to take serious. Like they don't, we don't go through all this training for no reason. Our instructors don't tell us all these things for just because like it's part of the curriculum. Like, no, it's like you have to take, take things serious. And I mean, like, yeah, for the most part, they don't really ask that many questions. So ones that ask more questions, it's like when I go to, um, my friend who she's a part of the, she does a, like a training for, for patrol deputies are already like, uh, uh, they've already graduated. So she does a first aid class. And usually every time that she has it, I go and I talk to the class. So they're, they're already patrol trained deputies been on for years. Um, they're the ones that have more questions. They usually ask more questions than recruits. What kind of questions do you get from the, the veterans? Uh, it's basically, it's like, Oh, what was going through your mind during that time? Um, like, I mean, you being so new, like how, how was that? Like, was it like, cause everything's so fresh. Like I'm like, well, yeah, I'm like, that has, that has everything to do with it. But it's also like, like the training. I mean, I don't have half of the training that you guys have. And I mean, it's just something that you never know. Like you never know when you'll need it. I mean, hopefully we never do, but it's like when we do, if you need it or your partner, you, you're going to know what to do. And I tell them like, every time that I go to these classes, I always learn something new from just sitting in there. And I I'll be go for like a couple of hours and just listen to the lectures. And it's like, I learn something new every single time. And it's like, okay, like everything will just come to you when you need it. Like it'll come back to you. Like, that's how I feel like what happened with me. Like it just, everything came back all the training. 
And, you know, and that makes sense that the veterans would have more questions because the new people, unless they've got prior law enforcement, a lot mm-hmm. of them don't know what to ask. Yeah. You know, it's like, but a lot of them probably, especially the area you're in, probably been around shootings mm-hmm. or officer involved things or things like that. Well, it makes you wonder too, did, did any of the recruits drop out after they heard your story realizing, oh shit, this is for real. From what I've heard, so one of my other classmates, um, I like we're really good friends. Uh, she's actually she's a, in Compton. She trained at that station, uh, and she's the one that handled my. She's the one that took the handle on our incident. Um, so from what she told me, like I guess it was during that time she was still on training. They had other trainees there at that station, and when this happened, one of the trainees, like, well, he saw, like, he went to the to the to the call and everything to the incident, and he ended up rolling it up and went back to custody because he's like, I can't, I can't do this, and it's like something like it took that for that incident for him to realize, like, you know what, this isn't for me, and but I mean, like. What? That's okay. Yeah. You know, it's better to learn yes. it then yes. than to get him out in a situation where he's not prepared to respond yes. the same way you were. He yes. might freeze. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, You're yeah exactly and that's right. the thing. It's like you, like with your partner, like you never know. Like it's like sometimes, like I mean, luckily here we both helped each other out. But it's like, what if one of us would have frozen? Like we didn't know what to do. It's like okay, not only do you have to take care of yourself, but now you have to watch out for this other person. And it's like it's it makes it a lot harder when the other person doesn't have the same mentality. And it's like, oh, what do I do now? Because I've heard I've heard stories where it's like shit happens and then one of them like they they hear the gunshots and then they just go into a fetal position and they don't go they don't move from there and it's like it's more it's more like it's more on that other person that has to watch out for both like you and your partner so yeah i mean you guys have one man cars and so you know you've got to be able to keep yourself alive until help gets there yes yeah well, Murph, that reminds me of when we were talking earlier, you are talking about, I don't know if it was your class or maybe it was Joe's class, or I don't know, maybe Chris's class, but the one guy that went through, got all the way up to, and joined DEA and then realized, wait a minute, we got to use firearms? I'm sorry, yeah. I'm out of here. That was my class. This guy was, he looked like Charles Atlas, man, big, strong. He was a chemist by profession. And uh, we woke up one morning and he didn't show up for class and you go to the you know, your counselor's like, well, you know, where's Joe Blow? And well, he packed his shit in the middle of the night and left. He didn't realize we had to carry guns in DEA. What the hell did you think? (laughs) It's not drug administration administration, although it feels like it's drug enforcement administration. (laughs) Well, you know, speaking of administering drugs, though, let's uh, go back to the hospital for just a minute. How were did you uh, did you and uh, Manny uh, Double P? Did you guys uh, were you guys able to talk to each other during that time? No, no, we were, we were on the same floor. Um, he was released days before I was, um, the only time that I saw him after that was the day that he was getting released and he stopped by, like they brought him in the wheelchair to, to where I was at. And that was pretty much it. That was the last time that, well, when I saw him from until after once we were, we saw each other a couple of weeks after that, but, um, but that, yeah, we didn't, we, we didn't see each other while we were there. So how's how's Manny doing now? Do you know? He's doing good. I mean, I I still talk to him once in a while. Um, I mean, he's still like his recovery. I don't know. He doesn't really know how long it, it's going to take for him um to fully recover. I uh, last time that I spoke to him, he said he was going to need another surgery on his hand and his elbow. Uh, but he still hasn't heard back from the doctor to see when they're going to schedule that. But I mean, hopefully, if the surgery comes out good, I mean, with with 
physical therapy. Um, hopefully he'll be able to have a better grip on his hand. That's what he's having an issue with, like gripping, gripping things with his right hand. And he's, and he's obviously right-handed. Yes, correct. Yeah. So it's just like, it's just waiting and see to see how everything goes. Well, we're, we're recording this for our listeners in November of 2021. Uh, I'm curious as to what your feelings were. How did you feel on September 12th? 2021, one year anniversary after you'd been shot. Did you have any bad dreams? Did you know any psychological issues? How'd that go for you? You know, like up until that day, everything, I mean, after once I was able to do things on my own, everything just kind of went back to normal, just living my life how I've been. Um, it wasn't until that day, like that day when I woke up, I'm like, shit, like it's, it's a year already, like a year, like, and I, from the morning moment I woke up, I just started replaying everything that I did that day, like waking up to go work that OT, uh, what I ate, uh, what I did, every, everything, everything leading up until that, the moment when it happened. And I mean, that day I was just like, I didn't go out at all. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to sleep. And just for the day to be over, I felt like shit. Like, I think that's a day when it finally hit me. Um, and it's like, fuck, like, I mean, a year ago, I, like, I could have, like, I could have been dead already. Like a year ago, I could have died. Um, but it was just like, yeah, it was, that day was bad. I mean, I don't know how every year when the anniversary hits, how, how it's going to be, but it's just something where I wanted the day to be over. Um, the next day when I woke up, I'm like, all right, back to normal. Um, but it was just that one day where, uh, it felt like shit. Yeah. Well, you know, the old saying is you never get over it, but you do get through it. And over time, you know, the, I think the impact will lessen, but it still never leaves you. These people who say, oh, the family wants closure. Closure is a myth. You never get over this stuff. You just learn how to deal with it. You know, you'll never get over being shot. I mean. No, and I think, I mean, it's something that I think every single day I can't avoid thinking about it. I mean, I have my, my, I have my scars, so it's like, I can't, it's not something where it's like, oh, like I didn't think about it today. Like, no, every single day I think about it. And I mean, like, well, I think about it, it's like, oh, okay, like, well, it's like, whatever, like, I mean, move on. It's not something where it's like, oh, shit, like I'm going to be locked up in my room today crying about it. Like, no. Well, no, no, that's not your style. Um, let's talk about what, what's your message? What's your takeaway message to these recruits or even to these veterans when you're talking with them? What's for you, what's the most important thing you want them to learn when you talk with them? I think the most important thing and what I've told every time that I go talk to, to the classes and stuff, it's like the will to survive. I think that's the most important, like you could have all the training in the world, um, but when shit hits the fan, when you most need it, if you don't have that will to survive, like it's not going to do you any good. It's like all the training will go out the door. You're going to forget everything that you learned. Um, but at the same time, I mean, training is important. And I tell them like, take as much training as you can. Like if it's available, why not take it? Whether it's first aid, which a lot of people don't like because they think it's boring, um, or report writing. I mean, report writing, they could get you out of so much trouble if you know how to write a good report. Um, but anything, I mean, any, any little training, take, just take it. And like I said, like the will to survive, it's like, you have to look, you have to have someone at home waiting for you, like someone to look forward to, for you to be safe during your shift. Cause you know, you have someone waiting at home that is expecting you. 
You said something about first aid, and I want to hammer this home for a little bit, too. When you're in the military, especially now during the Afghan war, the Iraq war and stuff, so much time I had buddies of mine that were still there. They spend so much time on first aid, you know, on trauma care, you know, on doing it is so important that the medic kits that you buy. I mean, I take that seriously. I'm, I'm so glad you said that because I have a big medical bag with me. When I go to the range, that goes with me. When I go shooting, that goes with me. It's in the back of my car that goes with me everywhere I go because, you know, to your point, it's that golden hour. It's that care you get in the first 60 minutes that determines your your chance of survival, you know, the chance of success. And I'm so glad. Yeah, if there's one thing I can hammer home, these people who think first aid is not important. First, there's first aid about how do you help civilians, right? How do you help other people injured? But there's another aspect to it too, is how do you take care of yourself? What's your mindset going to be when it happens to you, when you're the victim now, when you're shot, stabbed, hurt, you know, whatever, are you going to have the presence of mind knowing exactly like too, where's, where's my tourniquet at? Where's my gear at? You know, where's my stuff at? If you don't practice that, then you never, you don't get that muscle memory. It's like, you just can't go to the range one time and shoot and say, I'm good. Never have to, you know, never have to practice again. It's that constant, you know, repetition. Um, I'm sorry. I was, I was getting ready to go sideways on something, and I decided, no, I'm going to, I'm going to. You're going to get through well, it. I, I will go sideways for a minute, motherfuckers. <laughs> if some of those people on the platform had instead decided to help render aid instead of just trying to get social media likes and bullshit like that, it would have only taken one person on that platform to change the whole narrative between the police and the public to say, no, look, guys, we're in this together. You shoot one of us, you shoot all of us. We're all in this together. And, and to this day, I am uh, I'm a disgusted, and I am so sorry on behalf of citizens who are out there depending upon law enforcement that you and your partner got treated this way. And it just, to me, it's, it's, it's the most disgusting aspect of this current times that I see out there. It's this vicarious participation society. I don't want to help. I just want to live vicariously. I'm going to live stream it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do everything but help somebody who needs my help. Right. And you know what, <clears throat> Claudia, the reason he carries those first aid kits is one of these days, Trish, is gonna, his wife's going to get fed up with this bullshit. She's going to take his ass out. That's why he carries that first aid kit. <laughs> I was on a roll. I was on an emotional roll. I was being serious, and you go straight uh, for me. Well, I had to bring you back to reality here, man, because I, I know I, I'm with you. I agree with you 1,000% on that. It's uh, It's amazing that you're here to tell us your true story here. But the other question I have for you is, I've read a lot of articles about you that uh, you're being recognized as a hero because you helped your partner. How do you feel when people call you a hero? I don't, I mean, it's, it feels weird. Like it just feels weird. Like and I do get it all the time, but it's like, I don't see, I don't see myself. Like, I don't feel like I did anything like out of the ordinary. It's like, we get trained. We all get trained the same way. Um, this is what we get trained to do. Um, and I mean, that's pretty much just doing, we were doing our job, like doing what we could, but it's like uh, a hero. Like, I don't, I don't like, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't click in. Like it, I don't know if I'll ever get used to it. Cause like I said, it's not something where it's like, Oh, like we just did what we had to do to survive. And you know what? That's the sign of a true hero. Bingo. Heroes say I'm not a hero, but I uh, but I work with them, right. you know, and and I do. Hey, I thought you were going another direction too, Murph. So I'm going to take you in that direction, the direction you actually meant to go before you pulled me off of my emotional <laughs> roller coaster. All right, where are we going? When this 
Well, no, this goes back to the reward for just a minute, because I want to talk about the society. we got a lot of people out there that like to flap their gums and want to be woke and socially you know, appropriate and everything. But yet when the time comes to put the money where their mouth is, they don't. And so when this happened, uh, now help us with the correct pronunciation of the sheriff's name. Is it Villanueva? Villanueva. Villanueva. Okay, Steve, you're right. During the break. We're of course I'm to... right. That is a question. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, please. Um it was made. They put together a two hundred thousand dollar reward for you and your partner right away, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. The sheriff and I remember this too because I, like I said, this wasn't that long ago. I remember the sheriff coming on and basically he started challenging some people. And one of the ones he challenged was was um, a LeBron James to say, "Hey, look, you know, hey, put up two hundred thousand dollars, you know, help match this because he was playing for LA. He's there. Do you know if that money ever got put in? And we're not asking you to take a side. I'm just saying, do you know if the money ever got put into the reward fund? Do you know if anybody else ponied up on that reward? No, I don't, I don't think he did. I don't think he even like, from what I heard that he didn't even comment back. Um, so yeah, like, I don't think he ever responded to him. Well, that speaks volumes. Yeah. That's what it's like. Uh, I mean, now he has a new nickname. It's Le Snitch. Yeah, he's back. He's back from his one game suspension. First time he's been suspended in 19 years, but he comes back and apparently somebody on the sideline said something the king didn't like. So he got his fee wings hurt <laughs> and he got two fans ejected from the game. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and they're walking out and the girl, the female is like with the sad face. So I'm like, yeah, I'm like, poor guy. They made him cry. Oh, my hey, LeBron. Yeah, yeah, he was crying because they were talking shit about him or something. They were telling him stuff. Dude, you are in the wrong fucking business if you can't take <laughs> shit being thrown your way. No, when this happened, there was like a couple of memes um, that were coming out. How it's like, oh, LeBron, like he, he'll uh, twist his ankle and he'll go out. Like they have to carry him out. Oh, I saw those too. Yeah. <laughs> and and like, then there's a picture of you with your partner putting yeah, on the tourniquet. Yeah. It's like, fuck, just another day at the office. Yeah. Right? yeah. You know, and, I, and I, one thing I meant to mention a while ago that I, I just hit me was when the backup got there and you guys were making your way over to the, to the backup unit so they can transport you to the hospital. You held on to your partner the entire time. That was that. Did you realize you were doing that? Were you trying to help him along or were you afraid to let go? Or was it a psychological no, no, I was, thing? Well, since he was like when they got there um, and he was kneeling down. So I helped him like I was trying to help him pick him up. I mean, I probably didn't have the strength, but I was just holding on to him to so we could uh, to guide him to the car. Oh, fantastic. I, you know, and any of these things we say asking you these questions is, is certainly not judgmental. Uh, until you've been through the situation, you really don't know how you're going to react. And, you know, and. Uh, I'm sure Manny is very appreciative of, of how you assisted him that day. And you know what? He assisted you as well. Uh, it, yes. it, it helped you to stay focused on what was going on, help your partner, take care of yourself, get that radio call out there. I mean, just that. There you go. You got to yeah. get that this help call. Out right there. there. Absolutely. I can't talk, Murphy, because you obviously went into details and what happened to her tongue. You wanted details, <laughs> but she can't speak. So she gives her radio to him because he can speak. He just can't, you know, he can't, he can't use his right hand. And so, I mean, that's that's overcoming these adversity, you know, these obstacles and figuring out, to your point, the will to survive, you know, the, the will to win. Let me ask you this. Uh, have you ever heard of a book? And this is something I ask a lot of folks. And, and if you don't have it, I'm sending it to you. Uh, you ever heard of a book called Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement by Dr. Kenneth Gilmartin? No. All right. It's going to be coming your way. So um, this, this is going to this is going to give you insight. I, I read it. And it, for me, this is after 18 years. I read a book about this and it's like it just opened up my eyes because 
your point is what you think now and what you're dealing with now is not what you will be dealing with five years from now and 10 years from now, you know, and the long-term impact of that. And so this is about a way of making sure that you're aware of what you're going to face, you know, in the coming years, because it's obvious you're going to find a way back. Even if it means going through another three academies, you're going to be back out <laughs> on the street again. I got to fly again. I got no problem with flying four more times. That's not a problem. Speaking of that, let's, let's close off with this too. Let's talk about. Whoa, 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 whoa. I got one more what? thing. Have you ever no, heard? No, no, no. Of, you had your chance. Have you ever you heard of the book chance. called Manhunters? Because no. if, if you're having trouble sleeping, <laughs> I'm going to send you a copy because it is a sure cure for insomnia. There it is, right here, folks. You can get it now for a limited time only. Woo-hoo. 1999. The Ronco Manhunter. This is the true story of how Pablo was taken down by Steve and Javier and the the real heroes, the Colombian National Police, and those folks there. So. Absolutely. That's and that's if you. <laughs> that's the one thing we push with our story. We're not heroes. The Columbia National Police are the heroes. And I am going to send you a copy just because, you know. Just because we can. I'm hoping, I'm kind of <laughs> hoping we're going to get to meet you at a conference later this year. I, yes. In fact, the shirt I'm wearing today is in honor of you. It's the Southern California Gang Conference t-shirt. Because I'm hoping we'll get to meet you there in May, June, whenever yes. it is. Yes, definitely. That's, you know what? I, and one thing I want to see is. is oh, one more thing. Okay, Murphy. I wish, I, I, wish I had a mute button. I could just turn him off, you know. <laughs> I want to see the two new dimples you got because, you know, I mean, a girl with dimples, that's cute, right? They're, they're a little uneven, but, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell. You know what? If anybody's I mean, looking, that, like, if like anybody's looking that damn close, slap. There's another one over here. That's little- okay. After a couple drinks, they're going to look perfect, so don't worry. <laughs> hey, well, let's, let's talk about real quick you now. Let's talk about your recovery. So um, it has been uh, a year and basically three months since the shooting. Um, what is your current status right now? And what have you been told about your recovery? And based on that, what, what are the factors in your recovery that are either helping you out or hurting you at this point of, in terms of getting back to duty? Um, so, I mean, the last time that I've heard, I'm still, uh, I'm still out. I haven't gone back to work since the incident. Um, the last time that I spoke to my doctors, I mean, everything looks like I'll be cleared to go back to work. I'll be able to go back, uh, full duty. Um, but it's going to take, it's still, it's going to take a while. So with my arms, uh, the bones are completely healed. Uh, all, like I just need to work on getting my strength back. I can't I can't carry a pack of waters um because my hands will get tired right away. And then I'm having issues with the wrist. So I'm just waiting to see what the next step is. Um, because I already did physical therapy. So now my doctor is gonna see what other things we could do for the wrist. Cause that's where I'm having most of my pain in my right wrist. Uh, but other than that, like there's no nerve damage. Um Nothing, no significant damage where it's going to affect me later on. So, I mean, that that's great. Uh, and for my jaw, so right now I just started with Invisalign um, to correct my bite. Because after the wires came off, my bite was, wasn't aligned. Uh, the bones on the left side, on this side, haven't completely healed. So when the bullet hit them, it's just completely like hundreds of little tiny pieces that need to, they still need to come back together and form that bridge. Uh, so just waiting on that. Um, my tongue complete, my tongue is completely healed. The only thing that happened, like when my tongue was cut, it severed some of the nerves where the sensation on my lower lip and my, my, my chin. So this part is completely numb 
And it just feels like when you go to the dentist and they numb you, that's how it feels. So, I mean, just... And that's when you end up slobbering and dribbling outside of yes. your mouth. <laughs> Especially when I'm drinking something and it's like, I just, I don't feel it. So it's like, someone will tell me like, hey, you have, you have some stuff here. So it's like, I just wipe it. <laughs> but I mean, other than that, I mean, I can't complain for the injuries for what it was. I mean, I'm okay with this. Like, it's it could have been a lot worse. Um I mean, with my, my mouth, like I, I do therapy where I have to stack, uh, like the tongue depressors, um, just to get my mouth to open up more. Uh, cause at first I couldn't, I couldn't open up. I was probably like this much where I could open up right now. I'm like this, but the doctor said like, it's never going to go back to how it was. Um, you just have to learn how to live with it. So it's like a, a hamburger or something like something that's a little bit thicker. It's like, I have to cut it into little pieces and eat it like that. I have to manage. So, I mean, I'm not complaining because I was on liquid diet for two months. So, I mean, anything else is... Here's the important thing. When's the first time you got to eat a real taco? Well, a taco, it, it took it took about, uh, I want to say maybe like a month before I actually could eat a taco. But the very first thing that I ate once the wires came off, um, I had like this much... Where's the camera? I'm like, I had this much of an opening in well, my mouth. Folks- this is the podcast too, Claudia. I know you're with the sheriff's office. We got to we got to explain things. So this is a podcast. Nobody. Can, but when you hold your fingers, you're holding them about what about a half an inch apart, right? Uh, not maybe like a quarter. A quarter, probably like a quarter. According to Steve, that's six inches. That's the way he does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, buddy, I'm, a, I'm on a roll. Now. Yeah, Claudia, here's a trooper trying to talk about a deputy. Oh, good lord. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so, but so you're, you're talking about not even a quarter inch is what you're yeah, able to open Yeah, not your mouth. like very, very tiny space that I had. Um, when The very first day that the wires came off, I went to Chick-fil-A and I got some chicken nuggets. And I just cut them into little p- tiny pieces. So, I mean, it, w- it was still hard because I couldn't, I couldn't choose. So I wasn't able to choose. So little tiny pieces. I got tired after eating two little chicken nuggets. I got tired. I'm like, okay, there, that's it. I can't eat anymore. But it took it took about a month before I actually started. I was able to eat. So what's your what's your day like now? What are your days like now? What are you doing? Because um, you obviously are not cleared to return to duty at this point. So um, you're off. You know you're off on. Um, I don't know what you guys call it in California. Whether is this covered probably under workers comp or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's workers comp. Um, I'm still off. Like I said, like uh, I can't really do much. Anyways, like I'm not supposed to be doing anything. Uh, so I just try to stay busy. Like, I mean, with my son, take him to school and then I had to go pick him up, uh, just do chores around driving and everything. Okay. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's, that's fine. I'm, I'm able to drive Um, several hours talking to two old farts on a podcast. (laughs) No, it's like, I just, I I stay busy. Like I'll look for things, start like cook. I'm like, now I have more time to cook again. Um, I wasn't able to cook as much as I, like, I love cooking. So it's like, it was when I was working, I couldn't really do it that, that often. So now it's like, I'm able to cook more. Um, and just, like I said, go, I go to the Academy. Sometimes I just go hang out with my, with the, my instructors from the SO Academy who are the instructors for all the training that they do. So just put a cot down there for you. Fuck, just move in. Just come back here to the Academy. That's what they tell me. It's like, you should just get an office here. You're always here. Now you you said, you said at the beginning of the podcast, you know what you want to do now, what you do go back to work. So what, what is that? So a couple months ago, I actually went to homicide. They, uh, the captain was retiring 
uh, he retired the from homicide. So they got a hold of me. Um, they invited me to the to the little to the ceremony ceremony that they had. I went and I spoke. I was like the the lieutenant from operations from homicide bureau. Spoke with him. gave me They gave me a tour and everything. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a homicide detective. So. I took we took a picture where they had their um their symbol like in in their break room and he's like let's take a picture he's like because I want to take a picture when you come back like over here so that's yeah but I mean for that I have to I still have a lot more to learn (laughs) yeah you do but you know what there is absolutely no doubt in our minds whatsoever that this will You'll soon be, be homicide detective Claudia Apple, and I'm going to butcher your name, Apollina. Apollina, <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember shit. What's your name again? Hey, I'm, I'm lucky I remember where I live right now. I haven't been in this That's house why very we long. You keep know, keep a tether on you, Connie's got you too. <laughs> By the way, too, one thing you'll have to join. You'll have to join me because I am a member of the International Homicide Investigators Association. So, because um, uh, I did investigate homicides, I did I did do some stuff beyond being a trooper, Murph. I know you like to say that shit, but I will tell you. But you mentioned that this is the kind of the motto, but it's there is no greater honor you can bestow upon another police officer than the death than the investigation into the death of another human being. So, um, and basically the motto is is to the uh, um, uh, to to the dead we owe respect to to the living you know we owe uh, answers basically you know like that and it's like. I got my little pin for it somewhere here too. He's so a member of the fun. geriatric squad over there. Well, that's what he's talking about. You don't want to go there. We invest. <laughs> we investigate old farts like Murphy. <laughs> there are no foot pursuits in Florida, folks. There's only wheelchair pursuits. Yeah, so that's that's, that's why they call us all turtles down here. We move like turtles. Right. Well, hey, look, Claudia, we're going to bring this to an end here because I mean, I, I know we could go a lot of different places, but uh, Murph and I will thoroughly trash the suspect in our intro and after we're going to keep you out of the politics we get to do that because of the first amendment because we're a god-fearing right-wing rough current christian farmers from kansas no i just <laughs> um, the truth is coming out <laughs> the truth is coming out no but you know i but i will tell you this though too there's no greater sign of a respect from cops you know when they talk to other cops and stuff when they look at you they go you're my fucking hero yep. you know you're you're my hero and when i look at you and i go you did stuff that seasoned veterans would have forgot how to do why because they didn't take the lessons to heart and maybe it's because you were a rookie maybe it's because you were still new and stuff that these lessons but that ought to be a lesson to everybody come to work every day like you're a rookie learn something new never forget what you've been taught you know you are a great lesson in survival um you know for for people to do not just on the job but even you know the, your attitude for getting better and coming back You've got your mindset. The biggest thing is you've got your mindset. You have a goal. You're not sitting at home just curling up going, I just wish I wish this wouldn't have happened. You go, okay, it happened. Now what am I going to do about it? And here's what I'm going to do. So you're our hero. Absolutely. It's God bless you, Claudia. I mean, sister, you, you, you're so inspirational to listen to. You're so motivational. You took a dose of reality and you're applying common sense to it. And we all know common sense is not common in our world anymore. And you're dealing with, with, the challenges that have been thrown your way, you still got a positive attitude. I'm, I'm just so motivated. I just, you know, I came in here pissed off because I'd been watching the video of you getting shot. And now I'm just happy as I can be that I've had an opportunity to spend a few hours with you. Cannot wait to meet you in person when we all get to San Diego later. Well, next year sometime. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. On the behalf of all the law abiding citizens and the ones that are not law abiding, fuck them. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I don't say that. I don't use the F word. I don't use the F bomb very often. I, you, I, 
Sister, you're one of us. You're one I, of I us. want to buy you a drink just so I can say, Claudia, you've got something on your chin. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right. With, with that, folks, hey, everybody stay tuned. We'll be right back. We could sit here in stunned silence for like the next hour, and we still could not do justice for what she did, for how she survived this, for what she did for her partner. She put the safety of her life and her welfare uh, of her partner above her own. She's there giving him first aid, putting a tourniquet on it. She's been shot in both arms, shot through the face. She mm-hmm. can still get on weekly and, you know, radio, um, you know, 998, which is officer needs assistance, you know, Compton packs. Uh, her partner has been shot in the arm three times, you know, shot in the head. It, uh, just how that bullet did not penetrate the skull. Uh, it just, um, you it know, wasn't his day to die. Wasn't his day. And it was her day to make sure nobody died. And like she said, I'm getting home. This is not going to happen. And if that's not the definition of persistence, I don't know what is. And then we tell you at the beginning, this was going to be one of the most motivational, most enthusiastic podcast interviews we've done so far. You know, I said it before, I am so proud of Claudia. I really look forward to to meeting her in person. Um, you know, I even sent her a copy of, her, of Javier and I's book, Manhunters. And she texted me the other day she got it and, you know, told her to be sure and just remember it's a sure cure for insomnia. If you're having trouble sleeping, it'll help you fall right to sleep. I mean, just what a freaking hero. You talk about, a, you know, I try to teach my kids and people that I've worked with. There's leaders and there's followers. Don't be a follower, be a freaking leader. That doesn't mean that you have to overrun everybody, but lead the way. And man, with not many years experience, absolutely. And that was that training kicking in. If you wonder why it's so important to do training, you know, one of the first things that seems to suffer in budget cuts is training. You do not want to cut back on training. You've got to have training on weapons, on less than lethal, on self-defense tactics, on ambush tactics. This was... One of the things you'll notice that we didn't talk about the case because she is prohibited uh, right now from talking about the case because it is still uh, ongoing, but we're not. And so I hope that piece of shit rots in jail. Think about the cowardice it took to walk up. If you're such a man, asswipe, you know, why did you, why didn't you just stay there? You shot, why didn't you just stay there? No, you shot and you ran. Uh, Just, I mean, I have, what are we coming to from a societal standpoint to where not only do people allow this to happen, they were laughing about it and taking video while these officers have been severely wounded, trying to save their life, put a tourniquet on, and people, all they care about is just making fun of them. And by the way, like I said, here's a shocker. Claudia's Mexican. She's not white. She, I mean, she, her and her partner both are Mexican. They're Hispanic. And yet, we, it wasn't, again, what does it tell you? It's the contempt for law enforcement, and that gets people killed. Uh, I just, I got to stop there before I go off the rails, too. But, you know, anyway. I know. Don't want to take away from what Claudia did. What a freaking hero. I, I can't wait till we go down to that Southern California gang conference. Um, I just, like I said, I just want to see you drink a beer and say, hey, Claudia, got something on your chin here. Got to wipe it off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, and the cool thing was was she already knows what she wants to do, man. She wants to be a homicide investigator. That's and, right. And, and just to, I, I got to say this, you know, based on what you just said there, this piece of shit thought he was being a tough guy by sneaking up on him and not facing him face to face, shooting him in an ambush style, and then running away like a scared little child. 
brother, you ain't nothing more than a freaking coward. Screw you. I hope you rot in jail. I hope you never get out. I hope on your judgment committal order to prison, it says date of release upon death. Upon death. Yeah. And yeah, if and it's too bad too because this guy. Uh, well, fortunately, they didn't cite and release this douche nugget um, like they do everybody else. Like they did the fourteen people they caught for the you know for the um, uh, robberies down there. You know, and all of those uh, swarmings. You know, where they're swarming the the stores and uh, doing the mob rob. You know, as I used to call it. Uh, cite and release. They arrested them and then they turned them loose. Why? So they can go out and do it again. But hey, we know who they are this time. It'll make it easier to cite and release them. We can do it faster <laughs> next time. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, Claudia, you are. I, I, I say this all the time. I don't have heroes. I have people I looked up to. If I was going to have a hero, Claudia, you'd be right there at the top of the list. I'm just so freaking proud of you, girl. Can't wait to meet you. That's right, man. And we will next next year at the Southern California Gang Conference. So, hey, folks, if you enjoyed this episode, we got another good one coming up, too. Again, we've got a lot of things in flux. We're just getting to get to the point. And by the way, Steve had a great email from somebody. And I want to, I think we have a new way of figuring out how we're going to end this now. So got an email and I'm pulling it up here. I'm, I'm doing it very carefully. You know, you can't even tell I'm doing this, but I'm doing this as we're sitting here talking about it. So it's a guy, his name is Alfred Rodriguez from Texas. Alfred used to be a deputy for eight years and now he's a truck driver. So thank you, man. You serving us both ways. He says, Hey, he had a great idea. Because, you know, we always talk about the end of the show. He says, how about towards the end of the show when you're done with the guest and have the segment closing statement? You can call that the debriefing. Instead of saying everyone stay tuned or just a quick, you know, edit it out to y'all's words, say, all right, everybody stick around for the debriefing. So I think we're going to work that in. I like that. We didn't sure. get it done with this episode. But you know what we'll do? We're going to end the next episode. We'll say, hey, folks, we're done. Coming up is the debrief. You know, we'll, we'll come up with something fancy and we'll steal. I told him we're going to steal it from you, Alfred. So too bad. So sad. It's ours now. Man, great, great suggestion. Keep them coming in. You know, if you think we should replace Morgan, let us know that. We'll see what we can do. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good luck. Good luck with that. I have the power. I have everything here. I have the cats too. You can't get rid of me because I have the cats. So I saw spudding that on Facebook the other day. Looking good. Looking good. All right, folks. So guess what? That was the debrief. So we will now have our official debrief starting in episode 27, which again will be epic. Go to Patreon. Make sure you follow us there. I, I tell you, die hard. If nothing else, this will be one of the best. By the way, I've got a special thing I will only talk about on the live stream. It is the most epic psychological operation I ran against members of the military with, in reference to die hard. <laughs> uh, I'm part of a Peloton group, military vets group. I ran it. It involves what they believe to be classified information, threats in the United States from domestic terrorists. So I've got an epic, epic psyops. I mean, this was, uh, I can't, I, I don't want to tell you cause I don't want to give it away, but I will, I will tell you on the live stream what we did. So, Hey, but let me just say when you walk out your front door and either the FBI or DIA is out there waiting on you, just go, go peacefully. Don't resist. Yeah. I know. No, 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 no English comrade. No English. You know, so, Hey, but if you enjoyed this episode, head on over again to Apple Go to the podcast section. Give us five stars. And again, we're not going to beg. We're just saying it's the it is the right thing to do. It's the God fearing American rifle carrying right ring, you know, farmer Christian farmer flag waving at mom and apple pie thing. And that's just me. But you know, you do you. Murph will do him. He'll do alligators and uh, 
you know, and little electric strollers to get around his property. So, you know, hit, hit those five stars for us. Head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com for more information about the show. We're updating it, merch, mailing lists, all that good stuff. That's where the pictures are. On the social media, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook, at Game of Crimes Podcast on the Instagram, PayPal.com. Just use our email, GameOfCrimesPodcast at gmail.com or PayPal.me slash GameOfCrimes. But again, for everybody out there, I think, you know, who knows, Murph, we might even make this public for everybody. We need, let's talk about that. I think we should do a public live stream for all of our fans to see not only what the $5 level is missing out on the next level, but what everybody is missing from our. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. I think this is, this is our Christmas gift. We are so magnanimous and generous. We're going to give this Christmas gift to everybody. So the live stream, we'll let you know when it is. Technically, it should be on Christmas Eve because that's when Die Hard happens. But I don't know that we want to interfere with people's Christmas Eve, so we might do it a day or two beforehand. So we'll, we'll get you out the date with everything, and we'll let you know. And guess what? We'll put it out on the social media. We'll put it out on our webpage about when our uh, episode is going to be, our live stream. So this is our gift to you. What do you think? Just remember, we're from the government. We're here to help you. We're here to help. All right, everybody. Once again, thank you for sticking around for the debrief. Thank you, uh, uh, Mr. Rodriguez, Deputy Rodriguez, former Deputy Rodriguez, for that good stuff. And we will see you on the next episode. But again, as always, thank you for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the game of crimes. (laughs) 